What's up, guys? Welcome to the seventh episode of the Coup d'état of boxing, a podcast by Corruption and Boxing and myself, Official Scorecard. The Coup d'état of boxing is a podcast which brings you a fresh and original perspective on boxing, goes against the grain, and calls the BS out offers you the deep and well-thought analysis and reviews of the fights you saw or that you're about to see, and is here to bring boxing to the year 3000 like Dr. Octagon. Now, I have some big news for all of you. You know us, the coup d'etat of boxing, for not being afraid to cross over the enemy lines and for risking our lives weekly in order to give you the best possible show every Sunday. From the intelligence I gathered, a certain entity was trying to prevent us from bringing you an apologetic boxing podcast by luring corruption into their nest. I was obligated to ask for a dismantled Serbian paramilitary formation that fought Mujahedins in the 90s war for help. We are still not sure of our enemies' identities, but I think we may be onto something as we found Canelo's pictures in their wallets. We were able to rescue corruption. He's here with us at a safe house, but the paramilitary doctor is saying that he cannot allow him to stay for the whole duration of the show because he's on painkillers and needs some rest. Anyways, good evening, guys. The whole chat room, B-Space, Timmy Nilan, Triple JJJ, uh, Intangible, B-Space, Justin Marshall, Corruption, how are you feeling? Yeah, um, bit of a fright with the uh, Serbian paramilitary, but um, yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty good spirits. <laughs> nice to hear. Okay, so should we start with another talk about Lomachenko yeah. Lopez? Yeah, I think um, a great sort of place to start, first of all, would be just giving our closing assessments of the fight we discussed in, in tremendous detail last week. And um, we've seen that during the ensuing sort of seven days, um, it's been a lot of discussion still, but I've always um, articulated the uh, benefits of watching fights in slow motion, doing some analysis because scoring fights in real time is is one of the the most difficult objectives in in any sport, and and that's the reason why thousands upon thousands of fights are still being contested. You know, boxing forums and YouTube channels are still discussing results, which from fights 50, 60 years ago when footage was still available so it isn't easy especially when um camera angles are not the best referee gets in the way so rather than giving a a premeditated or even a premature opinion um take some time gather your thoughts do your analysis and if it means you're retrospectively correcting your your earlier opinion that that's perfectly fine now, we've done the post the post mortem. In fact, we've gone extremely deep. We've done an autopsy on the fight. Um, 
the visual scorecard has done his endeavors have been magnificent he's he's really gone um, and, and broken down the fight in terms of doing an individual round by round fight punch stat analysis i've already watched the fight in slow motion um just to see whether my earlier position would have changed and um before um official talks about gives a sort of a high level summary of of his observations in, in doing the, the punch stat analysis. Um, from my own assessment, you know, I, I, I scored the fight 6-6 six, six, and we did the show, you remember, the, the Sunday, so just literally a few hours after actually watching the fight and um, I'm going to stick with that 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 scorecard. But in, in, in sort of micro-analyzing the action I saw, um, I must... Um, indicate that um that Vasily's defense you know was excellent throughout the fight he was still operating with a high guard even in round 12 whereas Tiafimo's hands were progressively dropping and then literally he had no defense and it's kind of ironic that a lot of people are very quick to assume that uh that the fighter who has a high guard is getting hit whereas they cannot see the punches that is being inflicted upon a fighter who had no defense. Um, but a lot of Tiafimo's body shots um, that I assumed were, were clean, effective blows, um, a lot of them were not. Uh, a lot of the punches were not only low, but blatantly low, and we've taken screenshots of, a lot, of a, pretty much all of them. Um, a lot of the punches were landing on the hip as well. Um, the referee was was facilitating the uh, the injustice by not uh, uh, calling those misdemeanors, uh, warning Tiafimo. In fact, he was actually, it was pretty ironic, he was actually warning Vasily, who sometimes, after being inducing a low blow, would actually try and lean forward to try and gather his breath. But the referee would intervene, stop the action, and, and sort of uh, berate Vasily for holding, which was absolutely astonishing. Uh, not a single warning to Tiafimo. Uh, sometimes when the referee did uh, embarrassingly catch the low blows, he would um, stop the action uh, and, and just say to Vasily, look, it was accidental when the when the punch was, what, three inches low. Um so it was an absolute travesty, the, the injustice that he and that he had to suffer, you know, throughout the fight. Um, a lot of the a lot of the head punches as well that Tiafimo was attempting was was actually being deflected off the left glove onto Vasily's shoulder. Um, he did actually a very good job with that high guard throughout the fight. Um, even even some of the rounds that that people assume that Tiafimo won, especially in the twelfth round, is is just I'm just disillusioned with the um, with the the plethora of, of stupidity that is just being perpetuated around um, eighty five percent of you know the YouTube boxing community as well as sports writers, journalists throughout the world and. Um, really do not know how to differentiate between a clean landed punch, a punch that is actually delivered with the knuckle part of a hand, 
uh, as opposed to uh, a blocked, deflected, or a slipped punch, or a punch that that is actually hitting the high guard. Even though the force of the punch actually goes into uh, the, the the boxer's face, but uh, if if it's you know deflected to a greater extent, then it's not actually a clean landed blow. Although you can sometimes argue that uh, the, the the reverberation of the punch that you can be kind and and score it for that person. You know you don't want to really get over and just get you know just oversimplified. But um um. Vasily really was fucked over in this fight. Um, the average of the scorecards that were levied, uh, meaning that Vasily didn't even win sort of three rounds. If you if you if you take an average across the three judges, which um, is astonishing. Um, yeah, top rank clearly uh, clearly wanted to implement. Not only the takeover, but you know, uh, a repetition of what happened in the Orlando Salido fight. Uh, but this time, they're looking to change the face of top rank boxing and install uh, an American born, English speaking, uh, young 22, 24 year old fighter. Um, I think they're, they're almost gauging that, that Vasily is probably past his prime now. Um, doesn't speak English very well. Um, his body, the degradation on his body is becoming a little bit more apparent now. Um, so it's it's a great time for um, phase two of their sort of business continuity in terms of installing those young fighters and uh, trying to market and, and trying to mold Tiafimo into a pay-per-view star. Um, yeah, it was a, an absolute travesty. Um, you know, maybe Vasily didn't do enough to win the fight on my cards, but he certainly didn't, certainly didn't lose the fight. Um, in, in, in some of the latter rounds, when, when Tiafima was actually getting hit, he, he was actually falling forward. So it clearly shows the damage he was taking. But the referee was very quick to stop the action. Um, the referee didn't want Tiafima to sustain too much punishment, especially in those championship rounds when he looked when Tiafima was get, getting very very close to being stopped. He was actually leaning over, sagging over, with some of the the beautiful straight punches that Vasily was landing at, at short short range. Tiafima had effectively said that you know he's not going to even fight. Um, inside the pocket with Vasily, um, taking a hell of a lot of punishment. You know, his his defense was just non-existent. Swinging wildly, landing low blows. In in the uh, the, the stat can I did I picked thirty two low blows from rounds one to twelve, and they weren't even marginal. They were blatant. I was I looked at a plus and a plus minus margin of about half an inch to an inch. Anything lower than that, or anything above that, on the belt line, I was actually kind because on the belt line is actually an illegal blow as well. But I gave the benefit of the doubt, and um, still, in in generous sort of margins parameters for Tiafimo, you know, thirty-two excessively low punches, you know. So that's that. It was that that was clearly 
had um, depleted Vasily's um, his gas tank, um, you know, on the soft tissue area. When you're looking at the, the punches, um, you're looking at so many. You're looking at vascular organs down there. You're looking at small intestines. You, you know, these are unprotected organs that are just getting, uh, you know, low blowed. Uh, and that causes a, a tremendous amount of pain, internal bleeding for the fighter and that fighter to absorb those punches and still come back and give Tiafimo a you know, whoop in his ass in, the, in, in those rounds. That's, that's a mark of a, of a fighter with unbelievable fortitude, determination to try and knock him out because I guess he had to. So in, 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 in closing this fight on my behalf, um, yeah, it was an absolute travesty. Um, the referee's performance was just shocking. Um, leaves a very, very sad and bitter taste in my mouth, but um, I'll, um, I'll switch over to official for your um, your analysis. Yeah, okay. So first of all, I would like to clarify two things. Uh, I mean, this is not us crying about the outcome of the fight. Look, you can see, you could see uh, this fight uh, however you like. And perhaps, I uh, sorry for, for the noise, perhaps I do understand that watching it live. And th that's another point that I would like to make. Uh, when I'm re-watching the fight in order to, to really score it, I prefer to, to watch it in real life just with, without the sound on because I want to, to have... Um, Look, the, the judges neither they don't have the benefit of the doubt. They they don't have uh, the ability to slow it down. But then, when uh, when people started acting as if all of us even thinking that uh, Vasily may have won that fight, that we are just crying and we are sore sore losers. That's when I chose to to do my slow mo punch study punch count. And uh, look, fair enough, watching it live, it was not really easy to, 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 to score the fight. Perhaps uh, even myself, I had often I had a pre the impression that uh, Teofimo was landing some of his punches. Uh, so fair enough. But my problem is with, with those people who are either in, in intellectually lazy or or it's it's perhaps their coping mechanism that uh, that screams at you doesn't even allow you to to voice uh, to voice out a different opinion. Uh, so instead of trying to hear what I have to say, uh, they're immediately gonna start acting crazy as if I was talking some nonsense while I'm still telling them it's all right if you thought uh, that uh, Teofimo won seven to five because of his pressure. Although at the same time, I'm saying that in my opinion, uh, you were not really paying a close look to, to the punches that were landing versus the ones that, that were missing. Uh, now, even the other rounds that I gave to Teofimo, the, the, in fact, you're going to be shocked, but I think that in landed punches every round, I think that uh, in most of the rounds, uh, Loma outlanded him. 
but I still gave those rounds, some of those rounds to Teofimo because uh, he wasn't outlanding him in some of those rounds by much, maybe by a punch or two. And uh, Teofimo's aggression was overwhelming and he was way more active. And uh, so that's why even when uh, Loma was outlanded him, um, in uh, in some of those early rounds by, by a bit, I was still clearly giving those rounds to Teofimo. In fact, I, I may be wrong, but I do think personally that Teofimo only outlanded him in the first round where um, he landed one or maybe two punches to, to zero of Lomachenko's punches. Um, yeah, so that, that's why in my film study on my own channel, I wasn't even bothering with... Um, with uh, doing the slow-mo of the rounds I give to Teofimo or uh, clear rounds to Loma. Um, what else is there? Yeah, but anyways, I told people, you scored that fi fight for myself. You either choose if you were giving all of those first five rounds to Teofimo because of his clear aggression, although Loma was outlanded him. Uh, then in that case, let's give the 12th round to Lomachenko because while Campybacks has Teofimo landing literally 50 punches in that last 12th round. While in fact, I counted 15 punches landed for a Lopez, while um, Lomachenko almost doubled that with 29 punches. And sure, in that last round, uh, Lopez did land uh, three or four really great punches on Loma, but let's not pretend as if uh, as if 29 of those Loma's punches were some weakest punches because with most of them he was clearly snapping his head and landing really cleanly. So that's why I told people you, you'd score it for me because if he was, if into those early rounds um, Lopez was aggressive despite being being outlanded, then you can make the exact same case for the 12th round in Loma's favor. He was uh, he, he was being the, the aggressor despite uh, Teofimo landing the single best punches of the round. And on top of that, I'm not even mentioning that he he doubled the amount of of landed punches. You get me. So and by the way, if, um, that that slow mo film study uh, punch count. Um, was uh, was worth making because I'm getting the comments of of some people that are um, upon watching those punch counts they change their opinions and by the way one last point from uh, from me would be the sixth round watching it live I knew it was um, I, I mean watching it live I thought it was a close round and uh, look. I know I'm very aware of, uh, of past commentary team, but I thought that I was experienced enough to completely ignore them. And uh, perhaps maybe I didn't see, I thought some, uh, some of Teofimo's punches landed that were in fact missing, but upon rewatching that fight, it was a clear, clear round for Loma. So once more, I have no problem with, uh, with you scoring the fight for Teofimo, but with that being said, in my honest opinion, uh, you were not really, really looking at what punches were landing and which punches were missing. So that would be for me, I think. Yeah.
you know, I mean, it's the case that we have detailed and uh, a plethora of video evidence to substantiate our um, revisions or assumptions or actual conclusive statements regarding the fights. Um, and the evidence is, is clearly out there. Um, I would urge everybody to to visit official scorecards, uh, his own YouTube site where he's uploaded, you know, the videos and his uh, and his commentary over the over the action. It's it really it certainly opened even my eyes to various elements of the fight. Um, that's a habit that I always foster within my my discipline of watching boxing. Actually, it's always doing my own punch analysis because. If, if CompuBox was a definitive, conclusive, incontrovertible method of scoring fights, then clearly judges would use CompuBox, but they don't. And the reason why they don't is because um, CompuBox is a, is a system that, that, that is ultimately controlled by the networks and it hosts their employees as well. So it's still prone to human error, but it can be manipulated and it, and the instructions can be levied to those employees who, who are ultimately there at the behest of, of the television network, as it was during the ESPN days as well. So it's a, it's a system that in this sort of context is used uh, as, a, as a method of hypnotism along with the commentary and the referee who actually facilitates um, the instructions of the network and of, of the promoter and of certainly the, the financial powerhouses who are actually pumping money into the fight, specifically all of the casinos, etc. Um, so what we saw was, was just, you know, just something which transpires over and over again in boxing but the fickle-minded and and the uh, stupidity of boxing fans who are just very easily coerced and manipulated and hypnotized it's it's almost mind-blowing you know and uh, it's the reason why I, I i i really don't have the time patience or the inclination to interact with any of these people um just, just they're clearly not on our sort of intellectual level so anyway that that's enough of that one you know Tiafimo Lopez gets the victory fine have no problem with that um but um yeah Vasily Lomachenko got uh unequivocally he got fucked over in the fight so we'll leave that and um we'll get on to some some fantastic action um we'll look at the the post-fight reviews and uh, it's probably the first time and the only time I'm going to have to say this but um, big shout out and big credit to Eddie Hearn for a for a pretty fantastic card which took place in in Mexico on the DAZN USA app um, network's been struggling a little bit but um, you know this is um, if you're going to put on you know flyaway action involving some of the best fighters arguably guys who are, who one day will be uh in my eyes considered as all-time greats um fighters who are still cementing their greatness 
in Julio Cesar Martinez, um, one of the most exciting fighters on the planet. Um, he kicked things off um, against Moises Kakaris, um, 112 pounds. Um, El Rey, who's the WBC champion, having coming off um, a very hard fought and an exciting victory against the spirited Jay Harris, who we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, now, he didn't waste absolutely any time in, in disposing of Moises uh, in just one round, a fight that I think was certainly expected to go a little bit longer, but um, El Rey started very quickly an aggressive power puncher so we clearly didn't see the full array of his skills because he's a very fluid switch hitter as well um great balance does square up but i don't think the squaring up is a disadvantage i think the squaring up in his case is an advantage because um, he has the ability to unload fast combination and hard combinations with both hands um yes he will take a punch uh, but he's got a very, he's got a very decent chin as well. Um, unbelievable combinations he throws. I like that short right hand against Moises, which uh, followed up with a beautiful like one-two piece. Um, Moises never really recovered after the early knockdown, which was I think inside a minute or something. Um, so not much really to say on this, you know, just a, just a. An impressive first round uh, TKO victory official. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Julio Cesar Martinez never fails to to give us a great fight. In fact, um, right after the fight, I tweeted what a deadly, clan powered buzzsaw that man Julio Cesar Martinez is the most exciting fighter to watch in boxing, hands down. Uh, and I said, not even close, but in fact, uh, after his fight, I was reminded that Chocolatito is still boxing and although he's not, not in his prime, uh, Chocolatito is, to me, is the, the second most exciting, still the second most exciting fighter to watch in boxing. But speaking of Martinez, uh, yeah, he's, he's really amazing. And with his every punch, he's constantly throwing the kitchen sink at his opponents. He's switch hitting that, that is really, really extremely useful to him. And he's unbelievable, unbe unbelievably entertaining fighter to watch. So, so I urge everybody to watch his fights if they, they want to see some, well, some exciting action because he really brings it and he's, uh, he's, he's an incredible power puncher. And like uh, you said, corruption, uh, yeah, I mean, it depends on certain fighters uh, when, when they square up. Uh, it may be to their benefit or not, but in his case, 99% of, of the times, it's it's very beneficial to him. And uh, with all respect to his opponent, Moises Cayeros, he wasn't anywhere near an amazing opponent for him, but Martinez was doing a great job countering him for... Uh, while countering him with power punches for uh, for the short time that the fight lasted, counter left hook to the body was amazing. Yeah, the first knockdown that you mentioned it happened. Uh, 
in the first minute of the fight, by the end of the first minute. And um, he scored it by countering Cairo's jab by something that he does very often, and that is jumping in um, with uh, with an amazing counter left hook and then straight right combo and finishing it off with another left hook. The way he stopped him was also by countering him with uh, vicious combos. Yeah, he he's one of them who who really likes to to throw the kitchen sink with with his counters and to, to counter in bunches, not with single counters. And uh, I always thought he's fighting uh, uh, he's fighting as a way more offensive, more hard hitting, more exciting, but also more careless and more physical, but also more upright version of Canelo Alvarez. Um, maybe not really in this fight, but it's pretty visible in his previous fights that he's training with the same people with that Canelo does from the way he throws some of his punches, the way his stance looks at some moments of his fights, and uh, a very similar punch selection. For example, speaking of uh, the similarity in his and Canelo's punch selection is like, for example, this very fight, it was uh, when he was sil- simultaneously slipping to the right while throwing a left hook upstairs or slipping um, the other way to the left while throwing an overhand right. I mean, yeah, it's the, it was visible to me that there are some similarities despite them not being exactly the same fighters, but I'm seeing some similarities, but anyways, yeah, so. I mean, El Rey is very, very anxious to move up to super flyweight, and he's gunning for um, Juan Francisco Estrada and Roman Gonzalez. He desperately wants those fights, and um, yeah, corruption, but you know what story for the future of 115 pounds. Um, I would I would love to see a fight. You know, he's young, somebody like him and uh, um, the even the you know him and, and the guy Estrada, I think that, that's that malfortune war <laughs> of attrition. But of skill as well. It's not just two guys, it's not I've heard some expressions about ball and brawling for the design card, but they don't really, they don't, they don't, you know, don't really understand the sort of in-ring action. They just look at the annexes of the fights. Um, the ability that these fighters have when they're throwing power punches at velocity, but they they actually throw a lot more counter punches. If you actually sat down and looked at the analysis, like and there's a Certainly in the fights we'll talk about, but, you know, Martinez is as official made the assumption that um, a lot of the openings and uh, a lot of the devastating punches were landing from, from, from sort of countering what Moises was doing. So these are very cerebral fighters who, and uh, it may be a stay busy fight, but what is Martinez? How can he actually demonstrate that he's an elite fighter? Is just to dispose of these people instantly, and that's exactly what he did. So it, this is a pound for pound top ten, top ten fighter. Um, somebody who's going to get better and better. Um, 
is desperate for bigger and better challenges at, at the money division of super flyweight. Um, so if he moves up and people like Jay Harris move up, and eventually, you know, Jesse Rodriguez will, will get to 115 as well. I've got Tanaka up there now. You can see the new injection of young fighters um, who are looking to change the guard at 115. So uh, Strada and uh, Roman, if they have their dreams of the second fight, uh, if they want to continue and reign, remain supreme at 115, they're going to have their work cut out with with so many impressive fighters that are just 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 waiting and and looking to uh, cement their own their own legacies by beating these 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 great all-time great hall of fame fighters who are fighting so great times official how long do you see um you see martinez remaining at 112 at flyweight or do you think by by next year he'll he would have moved up to 115 uh, I would not be surprised at all if he moves up to in soon because yeah he he's been mentioning for a while that he wants to to compete with 115 pounders and uh, like you said I, I mean to to me personally uh, 115 is the division in boxing with a, a lot of amazing talent and imagine the addition in. Um, Harris and Julio Cesar Martinez, what they would bring to that division, it would be absolutely insane. But corruption, one thing that I, I failed to mention, uh, I found out on uh, on the Discord group um, earlier today, I think, or yesterday, someone posted, uh, in fact, um, when... Um, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think that uh, this uh, this opponent of Martinez was a replacement opponent, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah so that's right. So they asked. Um, it's been told that the um, zone and Eddie Hearn asked for uh, Roberto Garcia if he had a uh, an uh, one twelve pounder to replace. Um, Martinez's opponent to fight Martinez, and he told them, "No, but I have a one one oh eight pounder in uh, Jesse Bam Rodriguez." And he, uh, Robert, uh, Robert Garcia said he never heard again from uh, from Eddie Hearn. <laughs> That'll be a, a hell of a fight. Um, Absolutely, no no need for. Um... Maybe Robert was just playing poker, but um, yeah, um, I, I can definitely see that fight happening. Um, maybe, maybe a couple of years down the line. Uh, I, I sincerely hope so. That that'll be a sensational matchup. But don't get me wrong, Bang Rodriguez probably would have taken that fight, but Garcia wouldn't have authorized that. But. Uh, yeah. All right. Official co-main event. Um, one of the great fighters of this era, Roman Gonzalez, was looking for his half-century milestone of victories. Um, a great resurgence to his career in this at a phase three, coming back, having all knockout victories, one in Japan, Moises Fuentes and Khalidia Fai. 
Um, so people were just a little bit too early jumping the gun, thinking that he was finished or he, he should remain out of the game after the one knockout defeat to Sirisakat. Um, but for some people, you know, arrest and resurgence. And he's at time, you know, he, he, he had a very heavy mental blow with the loss of his trainer, who was very, very close with him. Um, took on that mental role as well, even after Alexis Arguello was passing away. So um, it affects, you know, bereavement affects all of us very differently. Some of us can can just carry on, but a trainer is very difficult, you know, finding that connection. Uh, he went back to Japan with Tanaka briefly, um, trying to find the right sort of balance, but put on an excellent performance against Kalin Yafai, won every round, and that said to me that, that Roman still has, uh, you know, a championship. He's desperate to sort of unify the belt. He hasn't done that previously, um, and uh, he's, he's very close. So it was a collision course kind of event. Um, Roman Gonzalez and uh, Juan Francisco Estrada on the same card. And um, the two victors and expected victors would, would meet in a, in, a, in a sensational showdown later on. Although there was some sort of brief ramblings that Carlos Quadras was in jeopardy of making weight and contesting this fight and Roman Gonzalez would, would step in. But those rumors were very... Uh, premature. Um, so up against Roman Gonzalez, we had Israel Gonzalez, a very good fighter from Mexico. Roman was giving away 10 years, I believe, in in age, um, three inches in reach, sorry, three inches in height and uh, an incredible seven inches in reach. Um, so a very, a very tough opponent, and um, uh, Israel Gonzalez uh, Jigger, who had a split decision victory in Japan against Shoishida, a very good fight actually, um, highly competent fighter, um, fought for the world championship against uh, Khalid Yafai, uh, put on an excellent performance, but he wasn't rewarded with his efforts and his endeavours. Um, Matron clearly had fixed the scorecard, so Khalid Yafai would remain uh, remain the undefeated champion. And uh, Roman just put an exclamation mark on, on Yafai when he absolutely destroyed him. So a very, very highly competitive fight. Stay busy fight for Roman. But um, some people were actually predicting that Roman would lose the fight as well. Um, although they're very quick to obviously change their their predictions after, but uh, a lot of people were saying a dangerous fight, but it clearly really wasn't the case. We had some tremendous action. Um, Israel Gonzalez actually started quite well. I like the fact that he doesn't fight tall, he actually leans down, and he was doing that very well, leaning down, sort of minimizing his, his height advantage. So he can get level and, and land sort of, you know, straight punches um, without neutralizing or negating his power. Um, 
that's very good fundamentals. Good to see from a young boxer. That's exactly how they should be fighting. Um, Israel Gonzalez clearly had the benefit of hand speed. Um, but Roman has fantastic side-to-side -side movement. His defense at, at, at a short range where he really had to get. Um, try and get uh, Israel, the taller fighter, trying to get him to smother his punches, you know, you know, make it difficult for him to get full extension on, on those punches given the seven, in, the seven inches he had in advantage. So good tactics from Roman and um, his punch output was absolutely ridiculous in this fight. Um, his endurance, his stamina. Um, he structured the fight, I, I noticed, quite differently. He went for speed initially. Um, did a great job in cutting off the ring as well, really trapping Israel up against the ropes, um, unloading like very, very good combinations. But for the initial sort of third, first sort of three, four rounds, Roman wasn't focusing too much on power punches. It was good punch placement, very good decoy punches. Um, he likes to shift with that double right hand, then coming across knowing that Israel Gonzalez has actually a really quick piston-like left hand in which he would fire. An educated left hand, he would fire free lead, uppercut, then come back with the right. But Roman would just double tap him, block the punch, one on the elbow, side to side, slip the other punch. Then he'd change completely on the other side and land, you know, a left hook, then a left uppercut, then he comes to the other side. It's just that that ability to oscillate side to side from a target, from landing decoy punches uh, to hard punches. He switches the power in, in one sequence from soft to hard, and the harder punches sometimes are with, with the left uppercut, but then you'll follow up with a straight right hand. Sometimes you'll find a, the right hand a little bit lower up against the chest just to open up the left hand to change the guard position of what Israel Gonzalez was doing. But Gonzalez knew that whenever he tried to fire the uppercut, which was working, but Roman had good observation skills and defense. Eventually, he was actually blocking a lot of those uppercuts as well. So there is just so much going on with this fighter. Um, uh, the high level of skill that he exemplifies, you know, within within throwing uh, a, a crazy amount of punches, it's there's just so much IQ, uh, there's so much awareness, there's a tremendous amount of accuracy. He doesn't waste that many punches, although he's throwing a lot of punches, but he's he's varying the power between soft and hard, so it's sometimes difficult for opponents to try and understand his his combinations, his sequences. Um, so Roman is always keeping them guessing. Um, the key for me is that his, his balance is just fantastic. You never see him overextend on punches and lean forward, lose, lose his balance so that it op opens up counter opportunities. So Gonzalez, Israel found that tough as well. He kept his shape, kept his fundamentals very well. Um, then he started increasing his work rate to the body. Um, 
landing barrage of punches had Israel trapped up against the ropes. Uh, Israel was having some success, but his, his punch output wasn't too high. Um, he couldn't really escape from being trapped up in the corner. You know, then eventually Israel, I think, started changing his tactics, trying to make those adjustments by using a little bit more movement, but then shoe shining, just trying to land fast combination punches. But it had no, no effect on Roman. One or two of them might have snapped his head back, but they didn't really deter him. They didn't slow his work rate. Uh, he kept pressing the attack. Um, and what I really got to say is that, you know, Israel Gonzalez has an absolutely tremendous chin conditioned athlete as well, because he took some, he, he took some murderous right hands and left hooks and left uppercuts and right uppercuts and straight right hands. Um, he, um, you know, if he's, if he's not pissing blood or, uh, you know, feeling the effects for a couple of weeks, then, then I would be shocked, but credit to him, you know, 23 year old, he's had, he's had a tough introduction in quite an early part, but, um, a good fighter, but, um, yeah, official, um, very exciting competitive fight. You know, I mean, I'd scored it nine, two and one even, um, but um, a pretty pretty dominant victory from a from a Roman Gonzalez who still has so much ability, so much talent, so much skill, so much endurance. Punch resistance is there as well. Yeah, absolutely, man. And it's funny that you you mentioned that this fight was kind of stay stay busy fight for uh, Gonzalez, which which speaks a lot to to the level he's performing at because uh, Israel is a damn good fighter. And I think that in if he was uh, if you had such a boxer in other weight classes, he may be at top 10, but the 115 once more is so deep that uh, that's the only reason he's not at the very top of the division. Now, I really do have a lot to say about the fight. Uh, initially, I was surprised seeing the difference in size in between them once both of them got in the ring, because from what I remember from Israel's fight against Kaliafai, mm, there was not a lot of difference in between them two. But the thing that I forgot is that Kaliafa himself is a damn huge 115-pounder and is already moving up to, to bantamweight. So it was shocking to, to see the, the difference in size between them. And uh, like you said, really impressive defense from Roman Gonzalez. Um, the front foot... Uh, and speaking of his defense and mainly his balance, uh, even when uh, there are moments where uh, he would uh, he would stack his opponents and uh, uh, his head would lean over his front foot, but the thing is he still keeps his balance, great balance, because he, he keeps his uh, rear foot planted. He, he, he even when he's leaning with his head over his front foot, um, he he keeps his weight on both feet, you know, and uh, keeps uh, keeps his rear uh, sorry rear foot really planted, so that way he's not um, uh, 
pushing his uh, his body weight over over the front foot, and yeah, always always there in position to to throw punches. Amazing. Um, in my opinion, I saw that uh, he lost some some speed hand speed although yeah definitely he was uh, worrying uh, varying his his uh, punch speed and i would say i saw him a bit tired so you can kind of say that he lost some stamina but man with uh, with the work rate that he he shown uh, the other night throwing over a thousand punches <laughs> shows you that his stamina is still levels above many other younger fighters and um, is still extremely good his defense was always underrated by some but um, but to me it's unbelievable that people are not seeing what i'm seeing when it comes to his defense now of course he was getting hit in that fight especially in the later rounds but with uh, when you have a fighter with uh, with such a punching output and that stays uh, in the pocket for so long, it's impressive what he's able to defend from. He's He still has an excellent accuracy and he could not miss with that right hand and I'll get to it later. By the way, like you said, Israel's chin is amazing. Um, yeah, so... Especially in the couple of the earlier rounds, he showed amazing skills, defensive skills of blocking and pairing with gloves. Uh, really some some old school type of defense. It really impressed me uh, the, the amount of punches he was blocking despite staying in the bucket. And um, in some way, he even looks to me James Stone-esque in spots when fighting on the inside, because just like James Tony, although he's, uh, of course, a different type of inside fighter than uh, Tony was, he doesn't only stay in the pocket for a long time like him, but he's also the most composed fight fighter Sorry, I've seen fighting on the inside since the already mentioned James Tony. His composure on the inside with... Uh, with the activity that he has is amazing. Um, of course, we we were once more we were able to see his short, sweet lead uppercut with with his left hand uh, that he's been his opponents with his whole career like <laughs> like a fisherman. Um, so yeah, high punch output was still there. His long combos, especially those thrown uh, while. I, uh, no, no, sorry. I, yeah, what, what I want to say is that I think that the right answer to Gonzalez's pressure is high punch output and long combos, especially when, when you're punching with him, which Israel did in spots, but he, he's that type of fighter that, uh, especially in this fight, uh, as we were able to see that Israel was uh, fighting in sports, uh, exploding from time to time with uh, with long combos. Um, so so yeah, he was showing the hand speed, shoe shining, and uh, I think that Israel Gonzalez started well in the first two rounds, and then 
In the second half of the fight, he even started countering him with uppercuts to the body. That was another good thing that he was doing against Chocolatito. But earlier you mentioned Chocolatito straight right. And to me, it is a very underrated weapon of his. I'm saying it's very underrated despite him finishing many fights throughout his career with uh, this very punch. In a sense, then, when you mention him, the first thing that comes to to your mind is probably him operating skillfully in the exchanges at close quarters, his combination punching, accuracy, punch placement, head and body work, angles, footwork. But it's crazy how accurate he is with his straight right. He re- um, He's really amazing at timing his opponents with that punch. And uh, like you mentioned, him varying varying the speed of his punches. He can either slip in a quick counter right hand or he can can, uh, really take his time and uh, perhaps maybe even telegraph it. But he's waiting the right time, the right move, um, the right opening to, to throw that punch even when, when when he throws it slowly. And uh, the accuracy of that punch is really amazing to me. And uh, he was landing that straight right hand the whole night on Israel, after all. Um, now, I scored originally watching it live. I scored the fight 11-1 for Chocolatito. But re-watching it, yeah, I could, I could give uh, Israel two or three rounds. But still, despite that wide score, and uh, Chocolatito being in control for the most part of the fight. There were some very competitive rounds in the fight, and it was very exciting to watch. So, yeah. Uh, in fact, yeah, I told you, it, I would take some, take some time because I have a lot to, to say. I would like to make uh, a couple, couple more points. Uh, so his defense, Chocolatito's defense, He's constantly switching his defense. It's very, very, very unique, you, you know, to have so, so many different type of defenses that, that, that he's showing in his fights, but are not very visible, especially for those who, you know, who are not really paying attention that, because some people are only seeing him fighting on the inside without realizing what he does. And he can defend by blocking and pairing or using his head movement with his head leaning over his front foot, switching his upper body from between the front and back foot. Then he can also smother his opponents by going chest to chest or shoulder to shoulder. He can use the lateral movement as a mean of defense, he can roll punches, even using the shoulder roll like James Tony uh, from time to time, or taking half a step back and then counter. Also, at this stage of his career, since after the first fight he had against Sor Rongvisai, I believe that he stopped using that last mentioned move as much as, as he used to do. Yes, uh, yeah. meaning to step back, but it is understandable for this fight, being that he was facing a very long armed fighter in Israel, who's dangerous when given given space for his punches, as as Israel offers often starts his attacks with straight punches in order to set up that sneaky front uppercut of his that lands with a lot of velocity. Now, 
yeah, two more things that I have to say. Sorry for dragging it so much, but I really... <laughs> no, it's some great points. Carry on. Yeah. I, I, I just really love watching Chocolatito Evan at this stage of his career. But anyways, Israel, he was throwing fast and powerful combos and flurries, which he had some success with, but were not as accurate as Chocolatito's punches. However, he was throwing them to stop Roman Gonzalez when he was throwing them to stop Roman at his track and prevent him from getting off his own offense. It was very useful to him. And uh, those punches were eye-catching, like you say, shoe-shining, etc. And uh, some of his straight and looping rides from those combos were catching Chocolatito flash and even stunned him with one of them in the early rounds, then um, in ninth and then tenth round, he caught him with some mean uppercuts off the ropes. So yeah, Israel is definitely a damn good fighter. Uh, and he's he's very big for uh, for the trade, but as long as he's making it, he, he can give help to anyone. And um, but I would like to to make a point about Israel's defense. When trapped on the ropes in this fight, Israel was very herky jerky with his upper body, but he became easy to time really quickly as those repetitive defensive movements became predictable real quickly for Chocolatito. He was trying to evade Chocolatito's high punch high punch output with his athleticism of his upper body but he was doing it one same way the most of the time making his upper body a moving target but without really thinking a lot you know thinking about the different ways to to defend from chocolatito or um, chocolatito's pressure uh, wasn't giving him any time to think about it and uh, chocolatito's answer was going to the body and then also timing him with punches upstairs so, yeah, I, I saw a lot in that fight. I really enjoyed it. So despite being one-sided, there were many competitive and extremely exciting rounds. Great stuff. Just one thing more I want to add. One thing that Roman does from a, from a technical standpoint on the offensive side, for a fighter who has, a, has an uncanny ability of sort of switching side to side and sort of pivoting around the target, um not remaining in one place what he does is that he he's not too concerned with that with that lead position on the outside what he actually does is he actually splits the opponent's foot positions by planting his lead foot in between their feet and it's that it's that ability that that position he takes slightly on the right that that gives him that advantage of those decoy punches on the right but then it, it it prevents him from being actually countered certainly with that with that left hand and then he can actually shift in between and it allows him to actually work freely but and sort of alternate between attacks with his with his lead and his power hand as well so it's kind of a kind of a, a sort of a unique feature that he does but um actually works very well and when you think about it you know israel gonzalez likes to maintain distance and range and you argue maybe he should do and he's actually a very good fighter who 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 can operate laterally and frying good straight hard punches on the outside you know just just sharp shooting with that heightened reach he has 
You know, he was catching Kalidia fire with those punches and Ishida as well. So for, for Roman to effectively have the real estate and to cut off the ring and literally trap him for, for you know, 70, 80% of the fight up against, on his back foot, up against the ropes, it, 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 it shows, uh, you know, Roman's uh, awareness of, of, of the, uh, you know, the characteristics and the advantages of his opponent and just the ability just to keep cutting off and applying pressure, subjugating and suffocating him and taking away, you know, his advantages. So he's a, yeah, it was a very good performance. Um, it's his milestone 50th victory, um, you know, 42 or something knockouts. It's quite a, quite an amazing ratio for straw weight, like flyweight, flyweight, and super flyweight. Um, and you mentioned official about what he used to do before. Now, against Brian Valoria, he can actually, he was up against the ropes remaining dormant. Valoria would walk in, then he just would land single left-hand counters. You know, he'd sometimes lead left hands that would actually hurt and drop Valoria. So, uh, so he can, he can be an ambush fighter as well. And, um, there's actually so much to his ability, um, but unfortunately, he came a little bit too late onto HBO's radar, and uh, at the time, we didn't really see the very, the very best of Roman. But uh, so, I would definitely urge fight fans to go and revisit his fights in Japan under taking under Mr. Honda's promotions. Um, um, there's a lot of fantastic fights he had. Very dominating performances in Japan, uh, Mexico, around the world. Um, but he moves forward. And um, so we move on to the um, to the main event official, if you didn't have anything more to um, add on Roman's performance. No, that would be it. Let's go straight to Estrada Quadras. Cool. So a great co-main event and um, a main event, a rematch, one El Gajo. Juan Francisco Estrada defending his WBC Super Flyweight Championship up against former WBC champion Carlos Cuadras, the Prince. Um, the Prince, uh, really a period of sort of indifference. Now, people talk about what Cuadras did to Gonzalez. Well, you can, I, I always looked at the, uh, the sort of converse aspect Look at what that fight did to Carlos Quadras because uh, he was still very much in his prime. He took a, a systematic beating in that fight. Uh, but people just look at the facial damage that, that Roman suffered, but they don't really look at the in-ring action. As I've said repeatedly, facial damage is not a barometer for how a fight is going. It's not, it's not a decisive factor. Uh, some people just have... Uh, they may have previous scar tissue uh, they may have high bone bone structures which and therefore skin which cuts up so it's not it's not always a thing very simple but um quadras having uh, gone through a real period of turbulence having lost to um mcwilliams arroyo arroyo actually coming back off a of over a couple of years out the ring to beat a, a, a Quadras um, who's had issues with performance enhancing drugs. Um, clearly in the Roman Gonzalez fight, I, I always felt that he was 
his performance went to another level. You know, I've watched his career from from day one, and the, the, his flurry of punches he was throwing in that fight and sustaining it up into the twelve. Um, that was something I hadn't seen before in taking the punches as well. But he got himself back into shape in this fight. Um, he's clearly, uh, you know, Canelo's uh, chemist has clearly been uh, working with Carlos. Um, he's got a new haircut, looked like a mean little motherfucker. Uh, there was a little bit of bad blood between the two fighters. I don't think Estrada was too convinced with his resurgence or his transformation, but but Quadras looked good on the scales. So contrary to the rumors which was happening, uh, you know, when I saw the Wayne, I was anticipating, you know, a very good fight. Um, and it turned out to be a, a hell of a war between the two uh, Mexicans. Quadras coming off um, to a very to a great start, actually. Um, he looked good in round one. He was finding an opening both for his right hand. His jab was landing. Um, it was actually the wider hooks which was giving Estrada some problems. Um, Estrada has really, and sometimes to his detriment, he's really transitioned into, into a nutritional fighter. He really is one of the most cerebral, one of the most finest technicians in all of boxing. I think Estrada's left hand, his lead hand, uh, the ability from the jabs he throws from a T-guard position, slightly gapping between the guard, so it's that T-guard style he throws, which allows him just a minimum recoil on his left hand, but the ability to cycle through jabs, you know, left hands to the body, check hooks, uh, double up on those hooks as well it's it, aesthetically it really is one of the best punches in in all of boxing thrown by any fighter um and we saw uh his check hooks was was landing well he takes that step back always uh lands that check hook with precision but sometimes he, he has a problem when when fighters are actually doubling up on the left hand and Quadras was doing a lot of that in the first fight. Not as much in this fight, which was a little bit bizarre to me. But, you know, the wide punches were definitely having an effect. And in the third round, we saw Quadras getting a strider up against, cutting off his space as well. When a strider was pivoting off to his right, um, firing that straight right hand, we saw his head position just come off the axis a little bit allowed Quadras to split the guard with an uppercut and, and finish off with a, you know, a left hook. Uh, a really fantastic little combination. Um, surprising because Estrada was actually land, doing the better work up until. But Quadras is a big 115-pound fighter. He's not really operated at any other weight categories. You know, whereas Estrada's come up to a super flyweight uh, and Quadras definitely looked heavier in the rehydration, so had the strength, had the power, um, has very fast combinations, and uh, it looked initially looked quite a, it, it looked like a quite a, because it was a short uppercut, so Quadras did get some power into it, but Estrada got up, 
You know, he's got a fantastic chin. We know that. Um, to me, it was a flash knockdown. Uh, because not only did he recover, but he actually won the remaining part. Well, the Quadras did have a little fry. The, the commentators get, did get a little bit exciting, but Estrada didn't seem that hurt. It was the left hands, the wide left hands, that was giving uh, Estrada problems again towards the end of the round. But uh, he sucked it up pretty well. Uh, Estrada came back. Um, Mid-rounds, his, his counter left hand was just working beautifully. Quadras was just overextending, certainly with the right hand, and then getting caught with the counter left hook twice. Estrada not only goes back with the counter left, but he... He, he feints to go left, but he actually moves to the right, changes his body position over, and then fires the, the counter left from a weird angle, actually taking the inside position. I've never really seen many other fighters do that. Quite, quite weird because it would be better off with the right hand firing the straight right, but he tends to sort of move off, I guess, to protect his body at times, but then fire the, that check left hook. Um, amazing. Um, really started punishing um, Quadras to the body uh, from around the fourth to fifth rounds, you know, counter left hooks to the body, doubling up to the body as well. Um, really should have been targeting the body really from round one, I felt. Certainly with a fighter who's had, you know, weight, weight issues and um, has ballooned up in weight. I think Quadras may have fought at, a, at, a, at 118 pounds as well. So he's kind of fluctuated a little bit. But Estrada, the, the key punch was definitely, in the official in the way we were speaking live, was, was definitely the left hand to the body. I was just urging for that punch. because, And eventually when he was landing, you could see Quadras was that absolutely hurt by the punch. You know, he was getting his left right hand back, you know, using, tucking in his elbows, trying to protect his liver. And um, a cerebral fighter like Estrada is not going to miss that. But he was patient in actually landing it. It wasn't an outright assault to the body, but he was patient, just slowly breaking him down, breaking him down, uh, increasing his output, um, walking in with that straight right hand, actually doubling, doubling with that right hand. The right hand was actually causing a lot of damage as well. But eventually, the Quadras couldn't really sustain much domination. He had spurts, and those spurts were rescinding slowly and slowly as the punishment was being absorbed his energy was being depleted his mouth was gaping wide um actually his mouth was gaping wider than uh, jane wilde's ass of that porno i saw the other day you know it was uh, crazy. um in the 11th round um that's when all of the damage was done Having one knockdown, he'd suffered, but he pretty much dominated the fight. And in the 11th scoring, you know, a straight right hand, left hand combination, but it was the second knockdown. Uh, beautiful check left hand, right hand combination again. And you see Carlos Quadras actually falling face first. Very heavy knockdown. Uh, and you knew... That it was just a matter of time and you know Estrada had promised to knock knockouts. Um referee allowed the you know the action to continue after the second knockdown, but uh Quadras was clearly hurt. Um a last little insurrection of punches, but there was nothing on his punches then. 
Uh, Estrada came in, two more punches, and Quadras was just sagging forward, leaning forward. He was pretty much out on his feet. So a right time for the referee to intervene and call a halt to the proceedings at the end of, of the 11th round. And Estrada delivering, as he promised, you know, being the first man to stop Carlos Quadras um, in, a, in a tremendous war, you know, against a resurgent Carlos Quadras. But um, Estrada, I don't know, official... Um, I'm a little bit critical of some of his tactics and, you know, not targeting the body straight off from, the, from sort of round one. But, you know, he wanted to put on an exhibition. He's that sort of a fighter. Um, made it a little bit more difficult. Um, but uh, in the end, you know, stopping Quadras, stopping up his face at a guy who was probably roided up more than Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, <laughs> did a hell of a job and... Uh, great victory in the end to, to retain his belt and then move on to the uh, super fight uh, yeah so wonderful breakdown because uh, i'm sure that i'm not going to be able to do justice to those two guys for for the excellent fight that i was watching because earlier today instead of re-watching that fight i took a nap to be fresh for the show but yeah anyways uh, you know speaking of that fight that happened years ago between quadras and chocolatito i'm gonna shock a lot of people probably not you because i'm pretty much sure we saw that fight pretty much the same way but a lot of people who, who even thought that uh, quadras was wrapped in that fight uh, well, me personally i was giving quadras in my opinion there was a lot of swing rounds three really swing rounds where Quadras was doing great, but people are forgetting that Chocolatito was probably doing even better in those rounds. So I could see that fight going, um, in that fight I could see giving Quadras from five to only three rounds, you know, but um, that fight was taxing even for Chocolatito that, and like you said, for Quadras himself, that it looked uh, much closer than that but it was anyways it was amazing fight that any boxing fan should see if they haven't seen it yet but yeah the, the, the fight was extremely exciting i think it's one of the very best fights this year um in fact okay probably none of those fights could could fuck with uh Berenczyk and zapeda Although it's arguable because in many of the fights, uh, like uh, in between Trading Quadras, there was a lot of non-stop action and continuity in action, unlike uh, Zapeda versus Baranchik. But I'm not trying to shit on, on that fight because it's clearly a clear, a clear classic. But yeah, I think that the, seeing the pimples on Quadra's back was a good thing, a great sign. Uh, I was thinking that we may be watching a reborn fighter, and it certainly looked that way early in the fight because there was a lot of great action. Um, but I think Quadras had a, a great game plan for Estrada, who, in my opinion, again, I think that he's... 
yeah, just like you said, he's an excellent boxer, but he sometimes admires his his work too much and uh, doesn't really work. His work rate is not really high. He's he's content with uh, winning one exchange and then moving around the ring. And I think that Quadras used that for. Um, so so what what he was looking to do was hype high work rate really high work rate a lot of pressure and a lot of punches a lot of combos while changing the angles uh, it's a similar game plan that uh, chocolatito uses and that chocolatito employed uh, many years ago eight years ago uh, against Estrada as well I, and i think that he was having problems with that uh Estrada is a wonderful technician and a counter puncher but he should I, I would like to see him more active in the ring kind of like he was uh, against Rongvisa in the rematch but even in the rematch I thought that Estrada's defense was not that great he's he's an amazing talent and fighter but I, I think that his defense is one of his weaker points I'm not saying it's bad or terrible anything like that uh, but it's not a world level, world class, you know. Uh, so I think Estrada, first of all, we should give him credit for uh, fighting such a crazy fight. You know, he was uh, taking punches from from a much bigger guy, just like you said, and he was able outfight him. Now it's it sucks that i was not able to rewatch the fight because you caught on you caught on many more um, little things that were happening in the ring strategical and tactical things the moves um, but i saw a lot of of, of things you mentioned uh, estrada countering and then setting up punches for that left hook upstairs or body punches uppercuts and left hook to the body which like we were able to see was killing quadras and yeah he he should have employed much more of body work for for the very reason you mentioned now at the same time i would also like to give huge credit to quadras who you know despite being probably on pds again i don't know because uh he, it was his best fight since years ago at least from from what I've seen from him, but big credit to him because he was able to fight while being constantly tired, dead tired for like eight or nine con consecutive rounds and being hurt in the process. Now, in my opinion, I do think that uh, he would be able to nick uh, many more rounds against Estrada for the already mentioned work rate, low work rate of Estrada. And uh, I, I think that Quadras brought up the best of Estrada in, in a sense that uh, when Estrada was not really active, uh, Quadras was landing much uh, many more punches, but then uh, then Estrada would find uh, an opening and uh, land uh, a huge counterpunch upstairs, for example, and really hurt uh, Quadras, and he was keeping him hurt throughout the whole fight. And that's why I think that Quadras showed uh, an amazing, uh, amazing heart 
and uh, chin and real for what he endured because since from the third fourth round on it looked it really looked like he was about to go down anytime uh, he was losing his footing his balance he was dead tired you you, you mentioned it him uh, yourself he was breathing you know through the mouth mouth but he has that true confidence about himself and that's why i do think that he's not that charismatic for nothing because in my opinion okay with many fighters that charisma may be fake but with him it really transpires the way he's behaving in the ring he's uh, he's seeing himself as a boss in the ring and he is willing to 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 endure a lot and he was fighting like a dog despite him being big and um, Estrada while all the things I said about his defense and him being dropped or uh, being hurt a bit but still having a great chin he he still showed such a calmness and showed that he's a real experienced veteran okay he, he's not that old but you see that he's uh, he's a hundred percent boxer there's no no bs with him he's he's extremely skillful and experienced because the way he was pacing himself and the way he was calm under the pressure was really impressive you know and uh, yeah, and any time he was seeing an opening for, from Quadras, he was quick on a trigger to to land his punches. So anyways, great fight, and I'm looking forward to, to rewatch it, like I say. Yeah, in, in retrospect, I think what Quadras was doing for some of those middle rounds with, you know, he can move laterally. He's a wonderful lateral boxer with fast sort of flurries, the short sort of explosive combinations he does in some of the middle rounds uh, where he was actually targeting Estrada's body very well himself. But when he started to stick and move, use a bit of lateral movement, try and um, just try and distort Estrada, who was just coming a little bit too forward in straight lines at times. Uh, once Estrada was like, like a locomotive train, he starts a little bit slow, but once he gets that momentum, then he just literally wants to steamroll you, um, overpower you with his punches, his combinations, and his counter punching, all in that, all in that sequence, and just keep marching, marching until he's actually had you down. Um, so th the best way is to try and disrupt that rhythm, move laterally, get the fuck out of there a little bit, try and vary your tactics. <laughs> So when actually Quandrus was doing that, he was actually having some success. Um, and he does land those, you know, flashy combinations from a distance. So he can definitely sway those judges. Um, but Estrada was determined to get him, you know, get him out there. And uh, he did so. So given both of their respective victories official now, this sets up um, the most anticipated fight in boxing in my humble opinion, in years, five, since their first, uh, you know, magnificent fight, which was fought at, you know, flyweight um, in Mexico, um, Gonzalez defending the WBA super 
super flyweight and astronaut of the ring magazine and um, his WBC belt. Um, that fight is definitely going to happen, I believe. Um, for me, it is, you know, I, I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm getting an erection thinking about it now. Um, an unbelievable fight. I think it's going to be an unbelievable war without doubt, as I mentioned, as I reiterate, it's the most anticipated fight. It's the best fight in all of boxing. But, you know, the boxing community are just just a breed of unsophisticated, archaic individuals who don't really understand or even appreciate or acknowledge quality. You know, they would retort and say something like, nah, man, Errol Spence and Bud Crawford or or a Canelo and a Charlo or a, you know Wilder and Fury Free, you know some B-level nonsense they would come out with. Um, you know, boxing fans are just the, boxing fans are, are the sort of people that if if they ever went shopping in Milan at some of the you know the greatest clothes stores on the planet, they would be looking for Levi's five hundred one jeans. Instead of a, you know, an Ermin Gildo Zenia, you know, a pinstripe or, a, you know, a Roberto Cavalli or, or a Couture or something like that. Um, you know, if half of all of these boxing fans, if, if they ever, you know, had a passport made and they were, had the ability to, to sort of travel overseas, if they ever went to a, to some of the best restaurants in Paris where you are official, you know, to a five star Michelin restaurant, they would sit down and order and they would ask for a steak and chips. You know, that, that, that's the level of sophistication boxing fans have. And, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we can continue, you know, trying to promote this, this potential super fight. <laughs> but it would be futile to these, uh, to these archaic, you know, who just want to see some B-level, B-level brawlers. But, um <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts on that uh, that forthcoming super fight? Hey, first of all, the, the, the metaphors <laughs> that you used, man, I'm definitely going to make uh, a video, a compilation of of all of your popcorn flies. You're still right. <laughs> By the way, it reminds me of uh, that one time as a kid when we went to... On a holiday at the south of France, my mother was eating nothing but but pizzas every night, you know, while while everyone else was trying <laughs> to see food, etc. So <laughs> it's <close> to home. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, it would be even now, Chocolatito, you can say out of his prime, but still amazing fighter, and uh, he has a lot much more left in him as well as <clears throat> sorry as estrada now the thing is chocolatito from this generation is my absolutely favorite fighter if we do not count Pacquiao because two of them they are my favorite my favorites so i may be biased but one thing is sure, I would be rooting for Chocolatito, but I'm not sure, man. I'm I'm kind of afraid uh, for him at the same time because 
this this is a 115 pound division and plus estrada yeah at the same time yeah he has he has a fucking lot to worry to worry about uh, when facing chocolatito because of the of those angles and uh, all the things that that uh, chocolatito already gave him trouble with in the first fight many years ago or that quadras was giving him it can, you know, uh, Rome definitely can win a lot of rounds. Would you say? The... Um, would you say that Estrada will be perhaps even the betting favorite, or widely acknowledged as the favorite going into the fight? Given uh, you know, super flyweight. I I would have. I would think. I would have to think about. I'm not sure because I'm wondering who's more more popular out of them too, you know, especially uh, in in the US where the fight is gonna take place. I don't know, man. I, I, I don't really know, but I think I think that uh, the boxing community would probably give uh, the advantage to to Estrada. And look, me myself, I'm I'm that's why I'm. I'm kind of worried for uh, for Chocolatito in this fight because Estrada, well, he's work rate once more. I hate to to bring to bring it back again, but his work rate is not that great. But his punch placement, his accuracy is he's as accurate as uh, Romani's, maybe even more so. But also. He would be different than many other Romans opponents who, who who were not as precise and as accurate. And any moment, uh, Estrada, as you uh, could see in his last fight, could lose the fight and find time, you know, find the right right time to, to land a punch and uh, to turn turn out the, the whole the whole flow of the fight. So that's why I'm very worried. And he, like I told you, he he paces himself extremely well. While Roman, he can he can still throw even in the twelfth round. He's gonna throw more than hundred punches per round, but would lose some sting, you know, and some some explosivity. While Estrada, he can keep it. He 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 paces himself so well. He he would stay dangerous for Roman even in those late rounds. He can place amazing body shots. One more thing we saw in the in this fight against Quadras. So I don't know. I would I have no balls to, to to give you to, to give you the prediction for now. What That's a your... it's a 50-50 fight. Um, yeah. Estrada is a 15-round fighter fighting in in the 12-round sort of modern-day boxing. His stamina is is incredible. But Roman showed in this fight, you know, throwing a, a thousand punches, maintaining that work rate and activity from round one to 12. That his stamina is and his conditioning is still very good. Um, that that is a fight that deserves. A massive audience. I think Roman has gravitated to US fight fans, a lot of Mexican fans, Hispanics in America. The fight would sell out whether it's in the United States, Mexico, even if it was in Japan, and I would love it 
in Japan. Strada having fought in China before, but it's not going to happen over there. It's going to happen in the States. Vegas, that'll be a, a perfect place. And let's hope the zone they've showed, they've showed a great deal of generosity to a fighters who have clearly not warranted the exorbitant paydays and that has depleted their balance sheet and um, you know their reckless sort of financial mismanagement. Clearly, we have two fighters who who deserve a million dollars. You know, deserve two million dollars. Deserve fucking ten million dollars. Um, multiweight world champions. You know, linear champions in divisions. You know, two of the best. Two of the best flyweights in this era. Uh, Roman Gonzalez would go down as, as one of the greatest flyweights of all time. I think him, you know, him and I think he would have given a competitive fight to Miguel Cantor at, at, at strawweight. Um, uh, you know, Cantor was absolutely a beast, but Roman clearly has the power advantage. So that, that that's not a foregone conclusion that Miguel wins that fight. Not in my eyes at all. Um he would have been competitive with Gennaro, um, Midget Volgat, uh, a lot of these fighters, um, uh, a Panea from Argentina, you know, the former Olympic champion. So, um, yeah, Roman, I, I think, would have stood up uh, against a, a, lo a lot of these fighters from the past, you know. It really is, a, I think, a once-in-a-generation sort of a flyweight fighter. Um, so, yeah, let, let, let's hope the, the zone, um, they can, they can, uh, they can get a, hopefully they can get a, you know, a, a massive resurgence of subscribers once this erroneous lockdown is, has, has been called off, which is causing irreparable damage to people to the economy when there's clearly no justification in the first place it's you've got over you know you've got 30 percent of the world who are totally ignoring the lockdown their economies are absolutely fine so it's it's just a load of nonsense um so hopefully in the early part of the year we can get this fight on and uh, we can't wait so that was the disown card from mexico uh, credit to Eddie Hearn uh, for putting on that fight, along with, you know, Zanfer and uh, Tekken Promotions, the main promoters, let's face it. Um, and uh, we'll go back to um, a fight which took place uh, last week when we were airing with our sixth episode, a fight that we did mention that we were very much looking forward to, but Unfortunately, the, the podcast was we, we were full in force of our breakdown of the uh, of the undisputed fight, so we didn't get to talk about it. But we've had an opportunity, and what a fight it was! Jay Harris from Swansea, Wales, looking to rebound from February, I believe, it, when he challenged Julio Cesar Martinez for his WBC flyweight, one hundred and twelve pounds world championship up against marcel braithwaite who was coming off uh, defeat against sunny sunny edwards i believe braithwaite having missed the weigh-in pretty significantly 
So Jay Harris's Commonwealth Championship was not on the line. Official, do you want to take this one first? Uh, no, I would like you to, to go first because I took some notes while rewatching this fight and uh, I'm restarting my PC, so I'll give you... Give you okay. Okay. Now, Jay Harris, orthodox fighter, you know, had had the height, but Braithwaite clearly had, you know, the size and the power, and you could see his biceps and his triceps, so he was very well conditioned, looked very strong to me. Um, now, Jay Harris is a very exciting fighter, and that, but the problem with him, which frustrated me, was that he's fighting a little bit too tall at times. He's really got to start leaning down, you know, crouching down, protecting that chin, uh, not using a high guard that much. So his chin is very much up in the air because he's fighting too tall with a straight back. Um, and he's punching down, he's chopping down, certainly with those right hands. Uh, so he's not getting, he's not utilizing, you know, the power which he can generate. When he's when he's rotating off his hips to actually drive into the shot, so that those are clearly you know technical problems that he's got to come, that he's really has got to remediate. But Braithwaite for me in this fight was doing the good job because he's actually getting low. So Harris is not all, not getting low as it is, but up against the fighter who's even more, um, you know, bending his back, getting even lower. Um, and he was actually fighting very well off the clinch, you know, short explosive bursts, um, landing a beautiful left hand in the early part of the fight. Um, Jay was jabbing in, coming into range well, firing, you know, good left, right hands, quite good fast hands, um, left hand to the body. Um, but Braithwaite was taking those punches, you know, blocking. Didn't do a too good job with the left hands to the body, but doing a reasonably good job getting low, deflecting the punches, a lot of the punches coming off the top of the head as opposed to the chin. Jay couldn't really split the guard. You know, the uppercut was open, certainly when Braithwaite was actually leaning in. But Braithwaite, very sneaky, coming off the clinch, you know, quick explosive bursts, catching Jay off guard. Kept happening round two, round three, hurt Jay Harris in the third with that with that left hand as well. Jay, when he's not protecting his chin, um, not good fundamentals at times. But he, he he's a fighter who wants to get down to war. Thinks he's the bigger, stronger, harder puncher. But so he's prepared to take punches. Um, he makes things a lot harder than what they should be, you know, can move around the ring very well, has actually good foot speed, good movement, can decoy left to right, can use more of the ring if he wants to, you know, make things easier, you know, try and sharpshoot and, you know, from the outside. Uh, at times he was doing that, you know, pivoting off, you know, landing straight left hands, right hands, knowing that Braithwaite doesn't really have a long, long-range game. Uh, so he made it, made it difficult, got into a bit of an attritional war, a little bit of an unnecessary attritional war, 
uh, was shipping a bit of punishment. Definitely buzzed up a few times. Um, but he was landing. He was outworking, uh, you know, Braithwaite. Uh, better combinations, you know, good uppercuts. Left hands began working a little bit better as well. Um, cleaner, effective work. Yeah, but still getting hit. Maybe Braithwaite landed probably, you know, the heavier punches at times. Um, for me, the scorecards were a little bit, little bit wide. It was only a ten-round fight. Um, maybe I don't know. Maybe a six to four. I think is a a fair reflection for Jay. But it was a a hell of a hell of a fight. You know, a real a real gem of a fight that would certainly urge everybody to go back and watch. Um, pity there was no crowd for the fight, but yeah, it was a very, very exciting, good, decent fight. You know, Jay Harris never disappoints. He's always involved in the good fights. Uh, very good up-and-coming fighter. Um, he's had great championship-level experience with that Julio Cesar Martinez, but needs to needs to improve on his defense needs to improve on his stance um needs to improve on his tactics so he's got to get a little bit more acute with his tactics his, his ring iq as well uh too many lapses defensively uh he's not sharp enough on you know on the clinch Breaking from the clinch, um, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I don't know. Maybe he underestimated Braithwaite, thinking he was just a little bit too heavy out of shape. But Braithwaite came in there to fight, and uh, you know he put on a hell of a performance. You know, Sonny Edwards clearly showed that with Braithwaite, somebody like that, you can't just fight too much in the pocket you've got to use a little bit of movements maybe fight a little bit negatively at times but that's not really the, the sort of the genetic trait or the modus operandi of jay harris you know he's, he's he's looking to fight on the front foot put on the show and you can't blame him you know certainly gave me a tremendous amount of excitement um Ooh. i know official really enjoyed the fight as well uh, i don't know whether you guys in the chat anybody listening to it on youtube sort of fight as well you know let us know your thoughts but um yeah great fight but th the scorecards for me official were too too wide uh yeah first of all uh the chat room give us your thoughts on the fight because it was really exciting and i would say that this year we had a lot of amazing 10 rounders uh, and uh, this fight was definitely one of them. Really super exciting. I enjoyed it a lot. Now, yeah, Harris's defense is definitely a problem. Uh, that's the very reason I thought um, I thought that uh, he, he was going to get KO'd uh, in the later stage of um, the Julio Cesar Martinez fight. But he he really surprised us all with with a great performance. Um, but yeah, people should really watch him and huge respect to Jay Harris for for being in already two amazing wars this this year. Yeah, 
because both both of fights, this fight and the Martinez fight happened this year. So it was really amazing. And uh, he's, he's, he's another uh, must-watch fighter, must-see. Um, he brings it in the ring every time. And uh, watching watching the, the earlier rounds, first two rounds, I thought that he was looking like an uh, improved fighter since that Julio Cesar Martinez fight, in a sense that his combos were looking compact, sh- were looking sharper and quicker than I remember him for. Uh, he was also pairing uh, Braithwaite's punches very well at the beginning and was smothering him with gloves while moving back or laterally. Um, and uh, was doing the same thing uh, after getting off his own offense. But from the third round on, especially the third and the fourth round, his defense really started failing. He was getting hit really easy by the straight punches, mainly the straight right hand, and then later Braithwaite started catching him with a looping right hand from from the inside, either from the clinch or after starting with body punches, and he was finding home for that looping right hand over Harris's shoulder very often. And like you said, yeah, I mean, he he keeps that uh, he, he keeps his head unprotected a lot, of, and it's he he's giving away too many punches for nothing, but. In his defense, he's showing a great chin because his head was blown away by Braithwaite's left hooks a couple of times and that, that visibly hurt him. In in a couple of rounds, he, he really stunned him, but he, he showed an amazing chin and took his punches extremely well. He also recuperated very quickly and shortly enough was back at throwing his own punches at Braithwaite. But huge, huge respect to, to Marcel. This was my first time watching his fights. I was not aware of him at all. Um, but yeah, Jay Harris as well, he buckled in with, uh, with the left hook twice to the temple, I think. Yeah, I think something like that. And, but once more, credit to Marcel Braithwaite, who, who was looking to wiggle his way into short range under high guard and head movement, getting really low, like you said, before starting to fight at that short range where he was doing very well. I saw him countering Harris well when Harris was pulling away from mid-range to yeah. outside, uh, and he he did that really many times while being extremely careless. And I get he was doing something that he had success with in the first two rounds, meaning that he was smothering uh, Marcel's guard or uh, or keeping his gloves on Marcel's shoulders or back, neck, I mean. But many times later in the fight, Marcel was catching him while carelessly getting out of range from short or mid-range to to long range. He was catching him many times with hooks and uppercuts. And also with jabs, he, he was landing the jab constantly on Harris and even countering him to the body. And yeah, Marcel, huge respect to him. Such a nice fight. I was not really trying to score the fight. I was much more looking 
looking to see what uh, what they were doing in the ring. But yeah, some rounds were extremely close. Most of them, not most of them, but a big enough amount of rounds. Uh, I think uh, Harris won on, on activity because he was more active, like you said, but uh, he was not always landing cleanly. Um, the difference is, yeah, that's something that we were talking about in the Lomachenko-Lopez fight. Similar thing was happening here where um, Harris's punches were not that clean, were landing on the guard while Braithwaite was finding home for uh, for his own punches, uh, hitting him clean. Now, yeah, what else could I say? I think that Harris shows again good footwork, take, taking back steps, making Braithwaite miss and then countering with his own jab. But a lot of times, like I said, he was getting countered with Braithwaite's jab many times in the process and he was doing well skipping Marcel's punches and putting away uh what else uh, yeah i think especially the the last two or three rounds were really amazing great fight i mean jay harris is still pretty pretty highly ranked i think um top five still in the wbc he, he may be looking to pursue a, another route against the Lackian, uh, one of the other champions. Um, I'm not sure where he's ranked in the IBF with um, uh, Miruti Mitalani. Um, I'm going to have to look at the rankings after, but um, or he may move up to super, super flyweight. I don't know whether he's struggling to make it, but he definitely. He definitely looks big, big for the weight. Um, but I wouldn't move up straight away. He's got to, he's got to remediate those deficiencies. Now the countering you were talking about is because when he's breaking off the clinch or he's trying to get out or disengage from short range, he's just going back in straight lines, you know, with his chin up. So Brayfoy is exploding, coming over that, coming over um, Harris's. Uh, lead right hand with his own left hand, but exploding almost like his feet coming off the canvas, you know, jumping into that punch. And um, Harris's reflexes not really sharp enough to observe those dangers, which was kept kept happening over and over again. So, yeah, I don't know. I I I, I really hope him and his father go back and and, and have a look at that in detail because they, you know. Up against a better fighter is at super flyweight. He's gonna he's gonna get murdered, especially with cerebral counter punches. Uh, that's gonna be his undoing. But uh, we'll we'll follow we'll follow the Jay Harris journey. Uh, great little fighter from Wales. Um, so that was the only fight we see on that card. Um, we'll jump briefly to. Um, the Showtime card, which was in the early hours of this morning, um, didn't see the main event with Sergei Lipinets. You know, when it's consecutive days of boxing, and um, you know, the pala military has got to come to your rescue when the wife wants to kill you. Um, you know, it's a wise man who has to accept that. <laughs> It's not going to be 5 a.m. every day and 
waking up at four o'clock in the afternoon and destroying the weekend. Um, so discipline has got to be maintained. But in two of the um, earlier fights, we saw some of Floyd Money Mayweather Jr.'s um, prospects with um, with conflicting results. Um, his prospect Hawkins, who the Showtime card were just um, they were just eulogizing his ability, given that he had the um, the pleasure, you know, the greatness of sparring with a Tank Davis. So somehow that makes him a great fighter. Um, some crazy matchmaking going on here with um, Subriel Ahmed Maxwell. Matthias from Puerto Rico, a murderous puncher who, literally a murderous puncher, um, having been upset in his last fight, um, so he was looking to rebound off a defeat, and quite a surprising defeat it was, um, but We've seen a lot of fighters after they've after being involved in a tragic fight. The following fight is always their most vulnerable fight, and uh, so we don't know mentally what he was like in the fight. But it was still a tremendous fight, uh, you know, one of the best fights of of the year, in fact. Uh, so they put him in hard against, you know. Clearly, PBC are just looking. Um, I don't know what their plans are with, with, with Matthias, but they're putting him in hard. And, um, you know, he was the betting underdog going into this fight with Hawkins. Um, but um, clearly um, they may have underestimated the resolve that Subriel had because he came out, he looked good on the scales. He looked kind of hungry. He was motivated and, um, you know, he, uh, he replicated, you know, the T101, uh, relentless forward pressure. Kind of basic, you know what you're going to get with Subriel, you know, does have a tremendous work ethic in the fight. You know, we saw that with the Dadi Chef fight, who was moving so much around the ring, you know, that was excessive running. But Maxwell was just patient. Subriel, you know, kept patient, kept chipping away at the body, uh, on on the pivots out, on the lateral movements, um, but in this fight, you know, um, it was power up against a you know kind of, a kind of a nice, you know, Hawkins is a nice boxer, um, picks his punches quite well. Um, is certainly a fighter who wants to maintain distance and range. Is not really too too comfortable up against a, a heavy-handed pressure, relentless pressure fighter who's going to be in your face, cutting off the ring, cutting you down, trapping you up against the ropes. But it took a little, it took, a, you know, a round or two for Maxwell Subriel to actually land clean punches. You know, a lot of the punches in the first round weren't really landing with the knuckle part, you know, a lot of hitting forearms, elbows, etc. couldn't really find the target clean but from the second round he certainly did and uh, a massive disparity in power and um, um, you know 
He broke him down very, very quickly. You know, Floyd's uh, hype job, uh, you know, pretty much capitulated and uh, <laughs> was starting to feel sorry for himself as well, shipping a lot of punishment very, very quickly. Um, you know, his eye began uh, busting up as well. And, um, you know, it was just pretty much one-way traffic, got dropped as well. Um yeah, you know, the Terminator from Puerto Rico official <laughs> laid waste to the hype job. Yeah, like you said, Hawkins gets grilled. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's very funny to me is uh, is um, uh, PBC's matchmaking that terrible for real or uh, what what were they tr uh, what what they were trying to do with this fight because it looks to me like uh, they were hoping to to put uh, Matthias in the ring against Hawkins as a stepping stone maybe I'm wrong about it but man he was he was out of his depth and uh, one thing you sure I was feeling sorry for him as well <laughs> I mean. Um, Malik, he, he surprised me because uh, from the get-go, he, he jumped in a, in a dogfight against Matthias and uh, was staying in the pocket. He was trading, trading with Matthias all the time uh, at short, mid-range. So he was he was trained very well and he maybe took the first round on activity, but from the second round on, he was feeling Matthias's power for real and he's... He, He's hitting like a sledgehammer. He's Matthias. He's not uh, a really extremely complex fighter. Um, he can be predictable, which was shown in his fight against Anayan, who, who, who was very skilled at fighting at mid and close range, and uh, showed uh, a lot of great skills against Matthias, who was very predictable. But like you said, that work rate, that power that pressure from Subriel, that body punching was extremely effective. And yeah, from the third or third round on, I think at the beginning of every round, uh, the doctors were checking uh, Hawkins' eye. And uh, at the end, I was feeling bad for him for uh, for such a beating that he was taking. But yeah, impressive, impressive performance by Matthias. And uh, I'm still wondering what PBC was over trying to do it, matching him uh, up against Matthias. It's kind of, kind of interesting what has happened to him because I, I felt I thought the um, the fight with Maxim Dardyshev was an eliminator for the IBF championship. Um, clearly, the, the, that is not materialized, or I don't know where he quite stands in the rankings. Either it was a I don't, I'm not sure whether it was a fight for the mandatory berth or, but it was definitely an eliminator of, of some sorts. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure if you remember official, but I, I, I definitely do. You know, that was a fight no one really knew of sort of, you know, Subriel at that time. You know, I was pretty much one of the only people who did a, a pre-fight sort of breakdown and analysis on that fight. Um, That's exactly. But um, but he's back in contention. You know, the 140 pounds is another magnificent division. So many great fighters. Um, 
I guess they can be patient. You know, an undisputed championship is probably going to happen. The winner will probably move up in weight. The loser may even move up in weight. Both of them are around sort of five feet ten, five feet eleven. So big, certainly big for one hundred and forty pounds. So the, the the post the aftermath of the undisputed is going to be interesting to see if the belts get splintered out, and and maybe Matthias can 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 fight for a vacant belt up against somebody, and um, it's not going to be an easy fight. You know, it's going to be. A tough fight. Stop this guy. You're either going to have to outbox him or you're going to have to break his will like an iron did the Russian and, uh, you know, put him under adversity, walk him down, put the pressure on him and break his will. Uh, but you're going to have to go through a hell of a lot of pain uh, to achieve that. So, yeah, we'll, we'll wait to see what happens. Um, now, the co-main event was... Yet another one of Floyd Mayweather's young, highly touted prospects, but Xavier, what was his name? Martinez. Um, sorry? Martinez. Yeah, that's right. Xavier Martinez, uh, 22, 24-year-old uh, featherweight, um, up against Claudio Marrero, um, coming off a defeat against Kid Galahad. Good fighter, you know, knocked at all. I thought it was one of the biggest beasts at the time in the flyweight division at 126 in Jorge Lara, the half sort of Argentinian, half Mexican killer power puncher. Uh, but Marrera called him with some sweeping left hands, you know. Good fighter, good sort of flashy counter puncher, you know, sort of keeps your hand low, sets that ambush, the traps, you know, has power as well. Um, so he was coming up in weight. Don't know how he was challenging Martinez in some sort of an eliminator coming off a defeat and not even having food at, at, the, at the higher weight. But that's modern day boxing for you. And um, this was one of the bizarrest fights I think I've seen. Because clearly... Um, um Marrero was was supposed to be you know the scapegoat in this fight to allow the young tally prospect to be to progress up to a title challenge um Marrera for me Claudio Marrera um what was he doing in the early part of the fight you know he was just standing stationary uh almost inviting Martinez to land those combinations I've never seen him employ those tactics, and I, I quite well think he was paid uh, to be, a, you know, imitating, you know, the Statue of Liberty in the ring. Uh, he's got so much more ability. So I don't know. I, I, I was um, disillusioned watching the fight. Eventually, when Marrera started applying some pressure, we we, we saw that Martinez just couldn't handle couldn't handle anything. Um, one of the most overrated prospects that I've ever seen uh, in the last couple of years. Uh, they were talking about Martinez having, you know, one of the best left hooks, whatever. Uh, <laughs> if you, his left hook is on par with, you know, club fighters that I've seen. Um, 
I don't know what all of the hype is about with Xavier official, uh, you know, Marrera having dropped him, you know, dropped him without exerting much pressure. Um, Martinez coming back, showing a little bit of, you know, resurgence a little bit later on. But for me, all the clean, all the snappier work, the harder punches, the better work, the better movement, the better combination punching, great right hook off, uh, off that southpaw position that Moreira throws was all done by Claudio Moreira. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he was never going to get the decision in this fight, even if he'd landed, even if he'd landed, you know, more knockdowns in the fight. Uh, uh, <laughs> pretty much of a rhetorical statement, official, but... Uh, yeah, you know, Xavier gets the victory, but, you know, what the fuck were the judges watching? Great question. Great, great question indeed, because it's a funny. Look, uh, this was another fight that I was just simply watching and analyzing both fighters without the fight. But I, I saw clearly that... Uh, Marrero did more than enough to win the fight, and the way he, he reacted and accepted the defeat clearly told me that he was there to, to lose. And it was funny the way they were fighting, I mean, uh, as if... Uh, as if someone was interrupting them during the rounds <laughs> because both of them were pretty much stationary and then they would have some bursts, some exchanges. It was not a very bad fight, especially in the second half of the fight. Uh, it wasn't that bad, but it was just funny the way they were fighting. And I think also that Claudio Marrero, if... if uh, it was not in case it was not a fixed fight. Then I don't know what the hell he was doing because he had a lot of success with that right hook and jab, uh, especially when um, he was um, getting first he was getting uh, Martinez's attention with with his rear left hand, and then sneaking in, making him forget that uh, front left hand of Marrero, and then uh, that way he was sneaking in a lot of effective clean short left hooks and yeah he did more than enough to win in my opinion but whatever it was a shit show yeah As you know, that whole card was uh, for the uh, exception of uh, Matias versus Hawkins yeah that was great you know upsetting the promoter's fight was always nice but oh yeah you know this fight Cetris Paribus politics aside if Claudio Marrero had been given a free license to try and, you know, to win the fight. Um, he would have knocked out, uh, you know, Xavier. Um, no problem at all. Xavier's just got no chin whatsoever. Um, but yeah, it was a pretty, pretty B-level, B-level sort of performance from this highly touted prospect. Um, enough of that main event. Um, didn't see the fight. Uh, I'd passed out. Um, good for you. I don't know whether you saw the fight or have any comments. 
Oh yeah, yes, I have. It won't be too long, but to 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 paint a picture about this fight, the best way to do it is to give uh, the the listeners a sneak peek to to what was happening in the headquarters of the coup d'etat of Buxton uh, <laughs> the, um, during this card. So we were exchanging the, the messages, talking about the fight in between the rounds. And so when the main event came on, I wrote you, this fight was just a reminder of how terrible Lipinets is. Theoretically, you'd describe his style as a pressure fighter, but this is a pressure fighter with the least pressure ever. But I'm probably waking you up with this message because I wouldn't be surprised if you already fell asleep watching this fight like I almost did. <laughs> yeah, so terrible, man, terrible. So not enough of clean work, especially from Lipinets. Um His opponent was, uh, you know, uh, what was his name? Uh, Kustio Clayton. He was defensive, but at least he was he was landing some clean punches. Not enough of clean works from from uh, Sergey. He was fighting like his whole career, fighting at one same pace, very slow pace. Uh, not cutting the distance very well, which, yeah, he has trouble cu cutting the distance because uh, because of his short arms. But however, <laughs> there was no, I was seeing no urge from him to to, to do something, to show something fighting at, at one same pace, really terrible. And uh, I, I was trying not to, not to shit on him because he's just another... Uh, after living in, uh, in the U.S., you know, trying to make a living, but fuck it, man, I'm, I'm, I'm up five in the morning, six in the morning for this bullshit. Fuck it, fuck it. Yeah, enough of that wasted time. Showtime card, and um, let's go into something else next week, which is also. A complete and utter waste of time. Yet another PBC pay-per-view. This time we're seeing the return of one of the most ill-disciplined fighters in the world in Javonte Tank Davis up against Leo Santa Cruz for two championship belts, bizarrely enough, at different sort of weight categories. Um, now, Javonte Davis is his opponent, is a fighter who purchased a luxury used car of his, of not only the promoter for the fight, but the promoter for his opponent. And you don't think Floyd Mayweather has forgot that sort of past generosity from Leo Santa Cruz? Uh, purchasing, you know, a Lamborghini. And this is clearly kickback. This is reward for Leo Santa Cruz, who I'm a tremendous fan on. He, he was, at one point, he was on my pound-for-pound pound list. One of the the best technical boxers around. You know, I've given him a tremendous amount of praise. I felt he beat Carl Frampton in both fights. And I've 
reiterated that numerously. For people to say Carl Frampton won the first fight is, uh, I don't know, I, I just find it very difficulty in, in sort of retorting and, and listening to that sort of nonsense when they just clearly didn't see all of the body work that, that Leo was doing, which wasn't just scored at all. It was bizarre. Um, but, you know, he's he's being forced to jump up weights and uh, find Tank Davis, who clearly uh, doesn't really know what weight category he should be fighting at. It's more is ill discipline around the ring and ballooning in weight uh, and hence forcing him to just keep moving up and up and up in in weight and the pbc are delaying the fight because he's clearly been struggling to make weight again and moving venues so this fight is 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 a case of javante davis leo santa cruz and floyd mayweather sucking each other's dicks this is homoerotic <laughs> pornography in the boxing ring this is what it is and if any of you out there think that leo santa cruz has absolutely any chance in the world of winning this fight then you are gravely mistaken you know if i had the ability to sort of remortgage my 12 bedroom mansion over here in holland and put all of the money on uh, Javante Davis to win this fight, then that's exactly what I would do, uh, and 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 risk being homeless. If I lost, <laughs> I, I would definitely take that risk. Um, Floyd is desperate to, we know, make Tank Davis into a pay per view star, and here he is headlining. You know, they're forcing Leo up in weight. Uh, Leo Santa Cruz. Who, is now a financial mercenary and self-deprecating as it is, but Leo admits that, you know, he's given various anecdotes saying that he, he fights for money now, you know, the honor is secondary. Um, so they're clearly rewarding him by contesting this fight. Uh, but it's a, <laughs> it's a smokescreen. It's a, a highly superficial match up it's not going to be a competitive fight i don't think um and i don't really have a great deal of interest in watching this shit show uh any thoughts from you official yeah a couple of thoughts okay first of all i'm going to disappoint you because uh, although <laughs> it happened years ago yeah you, you know exactly where i'm going but but in my in my defense i thought um, uh, carl frampton uh, and I was a huge fan of his. I thought he won the first fight uh, pretty much clearly from what I remember. But uh, in my defense, uh, back then, really, I, uh, yeah, like it runs to like that. But 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 in my defense, Damn. back then I was not really paying that much attention to to boxing and was not analyzing the fights as much as I do now. So. I estimate I know much more about boxing now than I, I knew before. So maybe I'm wrong with that. Maybe if I if I, I was to rewatch the fight, I would come up with uh, with a different opinion. But the rematch clearly, uh, in fact, Santa Cruz surprised me in a sense that he boxed intelligently, and he it, it was a shutout. The rematch, a complete shutout. 
Yeah, but about the fight itself, to me personally, the most entertaining part of the fight should be the waiting where uh, we would see if Gervonta Davis, despite sliming down quite a bit, could make the weight limit without dying, or if he's even going to bother trying to make the 130 limit in case he's over the limit. Um, yeah, of uh, belts. Uh, what's that? The, the belt uh, from 130 and 135 are on the line, right? Uh, yes. Well, another PBC's uh, specialty. Um, another yeah. LRB special, yeah. like, like he did again uh, for the fight, the first fight in between Floyd and Maidana. And that's yes. when uh, <laughs> Floyd. Uh, because of it, because of that move, Floyd uh, gave him uh, a boot in the ass before uh, rehiring him again. But yeah, I don't know, man. Look, this fight is like uh, telling Danny Garcia to move up to 160 and fight Jermal Charlo, uh, a known name from, uh, from a lower weight class, uh, pretty much popular in his weight class. I mean, to, to, to a certain extent, but uh, a known enough name that you're dragging up a couple of weight classes up. And surely this is just the case of uh, Leo Santa Cruz saying big thank you to, to Al and Floyd for uh, all the money they, I mean, especially Al that helped him make. He even named uh, his child after, uh, after Al Heyman. Look, I get I get people saying this may be interesting because maybe we don't know. Tank may look really bad, maybe dying to to make the weight. But still, even in the craziest scenario in which uh, Leo Santa Cruz would be outworking him and outboxing him for twelve rounds and uh, not get hurt in the process by a much bigger Tank Davis. Do you still think it would, uh, you know, the, the the decision if he makes it to to full twelve, which is not not very possible? Do you really think he's gonna get the decision when uh, PBC and Floyd are so desperate to make uh, Tank Davis into a superstar um, that he is clearly not? I mean, just just watching the the, um, the titles of the videos, including Tank Davis, the recent videos, you can see Floyd hype channel constantly naming uh, the clips with Javonta Davis, Javonta Davis, a boxing superstar, a boxing superstar. If he was such a huge superstar, a real superstar, you wouldn't have to to make those clay, claims again and again. So yeah, I mean, I didn't even bother analyzing those fighters. I'm not, I'm not re really interested in. You're right. You know, I mean, the PBC trying to infiltrate us with their perpetual, repetitive hypnotism. Yeah. Around the marketing, um, now both of these are very talented fighters. You know, Javante Davis has a great deal of ability, punching power explosiveness good jab you know can they even out jab taller opponents at time but 
there's been a lot of regression in his performance. He's, he's just, he's a fighter who's very lead foot happy. If his front foot is not planted, um, he's not going to throw his backhand. So you can actually navigate and, and force him to square up where he doesn't actually throw any punches. And for a short fighter, he can actually fight even upright with his chin up in the air as well. So, but what he's doing now, he's he, he's not finding the correct range to unload his combinations. He's overextending. Really, he's leaning into the punches, um, not getting the best leverage. Uh, his his balance is not as good as what I saw a little bit earlier. So I see a lot of regression, and he's been continuously bringing up fighters, you know, Hugo Ruiz from lower weight categories and just beating them up. So a, a hell of a lot of superficial victories. One of the most privileged fighters in boxing, when they talk about privilege, these uh, sort of retarded deplorable sort of wretched animals out there who don't really understand talk about Vasily Lomachenko getting privilege in fighting for championships very early even in his first second fight but they don't acknowledge the other privileges that is going on and uh, certainly those that have Tank Davis has enjoyed and been gifted titles when he's won what he's won insignificant belts he's been elevated in status you know when he when he was at super featherweight having been elevated from the wba regular to the super champion status when alberto machado beat jezreel corrales the panamanian jezreel corrales having gone to japan and upsetting longtime champion takashi uchiyama who was the super champion they specifically made or gave the the super champion to uchiyama and then that fracture that splintered off the wba regular championship which was won by javier fortuna um, who subsequently lost it um, to jason sosa and then the fighter the, the belt eventually went down and um tang davis having won it in a in having won the belt uh, up against the Argentinian, uh, I can't remember his name now. Um, and uh, so Machado gets rescinded, downgraded to uh, you know regular status, and Tang Davis gets elevated to super champion status. So that's what happens when you have one of the most uh, recognizable um, promoters and the whole stable bait in, in the whole Heyman, the PBC, Fox, Showtime that trifecto behind you behind you and uh, you know they can lobby uh, they can petition they can get decisions in his favor they can get him championship fights at any particular time um, they can get him simultaneous championships make him into a free four-way champion overnight um, oh absolutely yeah but enough of this enough of this bullshit if you Muppets out there want to part ways with your 60 or $70, you know, good luck to you. <laughs> yeah. 
I'd rather spend the money on some weed and some whiskey. <laughs> but we'll move on to um, much better. What else is happening on this? Uh, what else? Uh, let me see. Okay, so the next week we have <laughs> Jaime Mugia. Uh, yeah, yeah, but uh, Jaime Mugia versus uh, Turano Johnson, Lee Selby versus George Campbell's Jr., which okay. may be interesting that Murat Gassiev fighting uh, a brother of Seferi who faced Fury. So his, his heavyweight debut is finally there. So the next week. Thank God for that. <laughs> yeah. Then Inoue, now Inoue facing Jason Molani. And of course, Alexander Rusik and Derek Chisora. Okay. Do you want but, to start on any one of them specifically? Well, I don't know, man. Mungia Johnson, I don't know. I'm I'm not that in interested into it. Cambozo Selby may be interested, but I don't I, I don't have really anything to say about it. Uh I, I, I don't know, maybe the three fights that we could mention a bit about Gassiev, his debut, Inoue and then Usyk. Yeah, we'll focus on Lee Selby. Is, he's jumped up two weight categories. He never really had any power at featherweight and it's going to be a difficult fight against George Cambota, who is a good fighter. Um Toriano Johnson, I don't mind that fight. He's not a bad fighter as well. He's had a lot of, been out of the ring a lot. Um, he upset um, the um, the Irish fighter who um, Golden Boy signed, but he lost to you know Dominchenko. Um, does have skill and ability, so that's not a bad matchup against Mungia, who's obviously moving up, moving up in weight as well. Um, but we focus on Alexander Rusik, one of the best fighters in boxing, um, one of the best fighters in modern day boxing I've seen. Um, second fight at heavyweight, um, got a lot of criticism in his debut. But when when a fighter is is, is faced with so many opponents. Uh, so many cancellations and you've not had a great deal of time to study your opponent it's not always easy so it took him a few rounds but you've got to remember you know Usyk wanted Anthony Joshua pretty much straight away having you know the super championship status from being undisputed at cruiserweight uh, but clearly Eddie Hearn has procrastinated this fight I don't know why Usyk kept maintaining with with, with Chisora and Chisora and um you know, you kind of lost that momentum, um, which was disappointing to me as I felt, you know, J Joshua was his perfect fighter to make his heavyweight debut and, you know, to beat Joshua as I always felt he would do. Um, but he's had a little bit of injuries. He's, you know, put on a bit of weight now. Uh, but he still looked good against Chaz Witherspoon. Um I did a little bit of an analysis on that fight and, uh, you know, a lot of the punches that people were saying that were hitting Usyk weren't landing at all. So, you know, I don't know what the fuck are these people watching again. Uh, but, yeah, he did take some punches and there was a little bit of, you know, facial damage, but nothing that really caused him any problems. 
Uh, and he's up against Del Boy Chisora now. Um, Del is having a you know an Indian summer. You know, you know Tony Bellew's former trainer is you know definitely having some dividends in 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 you know making him making him into a much better sort of pressure fighter. But if there's any if there's any problem that Jerry Chisora has, it's up against fighters who can box and. The perfect blueprint for this fight is against Ajit Kabayo, you know, the Turk, the German-based Turk, Southpaw. And we saw all of the problems that he caused Chisora, um, who doesn't have, you know, good ability, in, you know, in cutting off the ring uh, up against boxers. Um, and Chisora is at a completely different level in, in, in his movements. Um, so... I don't know. Um, I can see, I can see um, Usyk definitely having some some trouble at times if if Chisora is able to land those those looping right hands, you know, over Usyk's uh, you know counter left hands and and in his back hands and his straight left hands, you know, Chisora does like to fight those good punches and he's not a bad fighter, so he's going to put pressure. He's going to keep marching forward. Usyk is going to have to take heavier punches. There's probably going to be a massive weight disparity between the two fighters. May even be something like two stone. So Usyk is going to have to be wary of the power. He's not going to. It's not advantageous for him to you know to stand and trade. He's going to have to box. He's going to rely on hand speed. He's going to have to rely on 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 movement. He's going to have to move his head um he's gonna have to work body he's gonna have to sharpshoot from the outside he's gonna land those straight left hands he was as he was doing to breeders in the second half of the fights which was having some effect you know to the pit of chisora's stomach that's key punch up against pressure fighters you know just keep hitting him to the pit of the stomach you know that that tends to neutralize the movements coming forward um so the danger signs are clearly there. But uh, I think Usyk is too cerebral, too much of a superior boxer. And I expect him to outbox Jezora, outwork him as well, outland him, frustrate him. Um, I'm not sure whether he's going to get the stoppage, but I, I think... Uh, Usyk will have too much for Derek. Um, yeah, I think so too, especially in the later rounds because Derek is up there in age and uh, it's been shown in his previous fights, uh, well, not only recently, but for, for the past couple of years that he really slows down in the second half. So as long as Usyk is able to you know to not have to to not get cut or um, take his punch as well he he should even stop him in the later stages of the fight because i think he chisora may guess or okay it may go to to decision but yeah i'm i'm favoring Lusik. but with that being said i i wasn't really motivated to 
motivated enough to to make uh, to do a film study on both of them, as uh, the ads were not not very attractive. But you know what? Speaking of Usyk, I do think that the biggest disappointment with him are his injuries because. People are really overblowing that performance, I guess. Chaz Peterson, I saw that fight the same Absolutely. way you did. I, I, I think uh, Chaz Peterson landed maybe two, three punches on him, but Usyk was looking extremely well for me, very, very good to me in that fight. I mean, you have to, 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 to keep in mind that Usyk, even before that fight, he got injured, he was away from the ring, so had a couple of injuries, his elbow or he, no, his shoulder, in fact. Uh, in fact, the injury he, he renewed after the fight, and that's why um, the Chisora fight was pushed back a couple of times, if I'm not wrong. So Usyk against uh, Chaz Witterspoon was doing very well to me. Uh, he was uh, taking some time to, to get the rounds in. And uh, I think he, he was able to, to stop him much more earlier, only if he wanted to. But clearly to me, he wanted to get some rounds in. And yeah, speaking of, speaking of his possible fight against uh, Joshua. I would say that stylistically Usyk will, would clearly have uh, a lot of advantages over over um, AJ. However, AJ is good at um, stepping back and countering with, with, with that pull counter straight right hand. He's very good at it and uh, it would be a huge danger. So I think that uh, AJ could absolutely stop him, but still, and I'm saying all of this without having having done any film study, but at least at this moment, before doing any film study, I, I would favor uh, Usyk. I think he would be able to to survive the fight and um, be aware of, of that right hand, although Belio showed in their fight how how being defensive against Usyk can pay the dividends and can be very dangerous for uh, for Usyk, who, in my opinion, uh, while having many similarities with Lomachenko, Lomachenko is always looking better on the front foot, pressuring, maybe also because he's a short short shorter fighter, sorry. So he needs to get inside the pocket while Lomachenko is looking much more impressive uh, at short range and uh, pressuring his opponents than Usyk does. I think at the same time, Usyk is even better than Lomachenko, much more better on the back foot. He, he really looks great, really beautiful to watch on the back foot, like he was doing, doing against uh, Glowatsky. That was an amazing performance, amazing footwork. Whenever someone is pressuring him, uh, he's he's getting the best of them. That's also why even um, Mary's Bridis wasn't... Uh, wasn't pressuring so much uh, Usyk. I mean, 
yeah, he was standing there and trading, accepting to, to trade with Tusik, but wasn't really that, at least from what I remember, wasn't really quick to, to, to pressure Usyk. Uh, he was making Usyk lead a lot, in fact, most of the fight, for, at yes. least from what I remember, um, he, he was employing a similar game plan that... Uh, Belly was employing against Usyk, and that's why he was giving Usyk such a hard time. So I think that AJ would have the same opportunity. Uh, but this fight, I mean, uh, Usyk against, when I look back uh, at his fight against Gassiev, uh, Gassiev there only landed a very few punches on him, but but he he hurt him in my opinion in the third and then in fourth round something like that but again uh, people should not forget that Gassiev is an incredible puncher it doesn't matter that he's a, he's a cru cruiserweight he's not a middleweight man he's a cruiserweight and that's uh, that's one division below the heavyweights and again even even now I think uh, he's pound for pound one of the biggest punchers. I think that as long as uh, Gassiev can stay injury-free, he could really hurt a lot of much bigger guys because he, all, all you have to do is uh, look at Mike Tyson. Uh, he was very short and uh, light at that weight class and was still able to, to knock people unconscious. So I don't think that... Uh, People should uh, talk too much about about Gassiev hurting him because Usyk was as well um, Klitschko's sparring partner for years, his chief sparring partner for um, uh, for the Hay fight and probably many other fights. He was boxing at um, World Boxing Series, uh, World Super Series, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. and uh, against super heavyweights competing competing even uh, in the Olympics at that weight class. So, also yeah, he, the Olympics. He competed, uh, he competed at super heavyweight in 2008 before moving to heavyweight at 2012. Yeah, right. So, what, what I'm trying to say is that, okay, I get people saying that we don't know how, how can how he can take a punch from a heavyweight and uh, through that Chizora is huge it but I'm I'm not so worried about him taking a punch against maybe it may be the case you know you, you never know especially the problem with Chizora would be in the first six rounds because I, I would expect Chizora not not to box with him but to, to bum rush him and uh, try to impose his size on Usyk, but again, Usyk should be able to to do very well on the back foot. Um, I mean, um, one thing about Chizora that I saw when I was analyzing uh, Dillian White was the way he was countering with his left hook as well, but at the same time, he was countering uh, White very well with that left hook, but White is uh, is uh, is an orthodox fighter so it doesn't mean that uh, the same thing could happen against the southpaw in Usyk but he was doing 
what I liked about his both performances against White was the way he was countering with left hook while moving his head back over his back foot. So that way he's he's evading a possible counter from his opponent while countering their counters. Uh, I'm I'm very interested in seeing that fight and seeing how Usyk is going to perform. And one thing Usyk must maintain through the fight is avoiding the clinches. Chisora is a master of leaning on the opponent, using the extra weight to deplete the energy. That's something Usyk is going to have to watch out for at heavyweight. It's an energy sapping tactic that a lot of these heavyweights but Chisora is actually very good, actually fighting in the clinch. He'll hit the body as he was doing with Kubrat Pulev, which clearly in Germany they just simply ignored. You know, he was doing so much good what good work in those clinches against uh, you know Pulev, and he tends to do that in all of his fights. Um, a lot of the fighters from Eastern Europe and Central Asia are not that adept at fighting at those sort of clinches and they tend to use their energy to try and push back the opponent up against the ropes rather than trying to use their free arm and fight out of the clinch so Usyk has got to stay away from those clinches Chisora will clearly have the advantage heavier weight more experience uh better better you know chest to chest like that but Usyk has the hand speed advantage but Chisora's left hand to the body is also a, you know, a potent weapon. Um, so this fight official is clearly going to be a litmus test for Usyk, both in terms of what is his chin like at heavyweight and what is his power like up against a much heavier heavyweight, somebody who's had a magnificent chin throughout the career. It may be beginning... It may be starting to crack now, you know, he's taken a lot of punishment. But, you know, when you can go against 12 rounds against, you know, Vitali Klitschko, you know, um, was knocked out by David Hay, who, you know, is a fantastic explosive puncher. Dillian White did him late on, but that was a little bit more due to frustration. Dillian White using his elbows, you know, Chisora being deducted a point. Uh, was dominating the fight up until then, but with the with the point deductions, feeling that the fight was in jeopardy, sort of marched forward, you know, through defense, out of the ring, was a little bit reckless, knowing that he probably needed the, a knockout as they fucked him over and then just walked into a left hook. So that was a little bit superficial. Uh, had had there been no point deduct deductions, I don't think we would have seen a reckless Chisora there. Um, but I'm not sure how the uh, the lockdown is going to be affecting Delboy because he clearly absorbs that energy from the crowd. You know, if there's bad blood between the fighters, you know, he gets energized. You know, he loves that altercation. He gets fired up for those sort of fights. Um and he clearly does, you know, you know the, the the crowd in London absolutely love him at O2, etc. You know, having, you know, he's from Finchley, North London, a place I know very well. Um, 
So the lack of crowd, you know, do you think that could potentially, because he's a very mentally fractious, frustrated in between fights, he can switch off, you know, inconsistency uh, when he's not up for fights. So clearly, clearly a lot of sort of intangibles, a lot of variables there, official. Yeah, um, that is in fact a great point. To be honest with you, I was not thinking thinking about the effect that the lockdown may have on him or on both of them. But yeah, a great, great point to consider. Yeah, I, I think it may change uh, change him for uh, for worse. The the. And you're absolutely right. He he would not have the crowd to to feed off. I mean, you never know. Maybe it won't be the case, but I I would say you're you're right about it. All right. Yeah. So that that's a that's definitely a decent fight. Um, I think the undercard on it has not been stacked up, um, so it doesn't really justify the pay per view status. It's still a highly intriguing fight that is that will tell us a great deal about the aspirations of Alexander Usyk at heavyweight. Maybe the WBO championship that is mandatory for will get vacated. Uh, he wants to fight, you know, Anthony Joshua for the belt, and I think he he deserves that sort of fight. That's a tremendous fight. Um, oh yeah, definitely does. Yeah, but Del Boy, you're going to have to watch out for him because if he clocks you clean, it could be horizontal on the canvas. Um, um, so that's, I think that's taking place at the matchroom headquarters, if I'm not mistaken. Um, uh, I'm not sure, probably. I would not yeah. be surprised yet. Just like okay. uh, the white fight, I would say so. Yeah. All right. And that leaves us to Naya Enoye, um, the monster fighting for the first time under the international top rank ESPN banner. A fight taking place in Las Vegas up against Drew Maloney or Jason Maloney, sorry. I think it's Jason. Jason, yeah. Andrew fighting. Joshua Franco in the rematch. Oh, um, yeah. In a way, the champion, the World Boxing Super Series, had a bit of injuries too, had a bit of time out of the ring. Um, so we'll see whether they were injuries that have, you know, recovered and healed uh, up against a. A good fighter, definitely the better of the two Maloney's. You know, he gave Emmanuel Rodriguez a hell of a fight for the IBF championship, uh, you know, a couple of years ago before Rodriguez went on and fought in Inouye and got, you know, destroyed in that fight. Um, yeah, he really gave it, gave it to um, Rodriguez in the second half of the fight. Good energy, good pressure. Good fighting inside the pocket, short range, good hand speed, uh, very good competent fighter. 
Um, so not a not a not a bad introduction for um, Noya Inouye on the uh, top rank ESPN banner official. Uh, yeah, definitely not. I mean, I'm not. I I haven't seen more than probably one fight from uh, from Jason. But I would say personally, both of them brothers are not not bad boxers, pretty pretty good boxers. But like you told me, uh, in your opinion, that they are overrated. I would I would say so too. I mean, you know, I should should shouldn't have any problems with him. I hoping that uh, he healed his face, his uh, his facial bones. Because um, that that counter left hook from uh, from uh, Donner was really nasty. I hope that um, he he doesn't renew his injury. That he'll be you know injury free for for a long time. Because I I just can't wait to to see him at this weight class and then to move up even through more weight classes. Like I'm hoping to see him doing, so yeah, I mean uh, that that's a very nice fight for him in the U.S. Although I'm sure we are all disappointed for him not being able to to face Casimero, which again, um, big respect to Casimero. He's hell of a fighter, but he is clearly ducking in way while calling him out clearly took a page from Floyd Mayweather's book and for the third or the fourth episode in a row I'm going to mention <laughs> that the division, the separation that these uh, big US networks and the third part entities, promoters are bringing to those wonderful weight classes it's, it's such a shame, such a bullshit yeah, if if the Casimir fight doesn't materialize, then maybe we'll we'll have um, Noya up against the winner of Nordin Obali, the Moroccan, and uh, Nonito Doner, who are contesting for that WBC championship, which is also an an excellent fight. Great clash of styles in the fight. Um, Ubali having fought the younger brother of Noya in a in a tremendous fight. Um, I think he's with MTK Global, who are promoting his career now. Yes, uh, yeah, he's a very good fighter. So that that's anything is possible in that fight. So it, we we could potentially have a rematch with with Donair, which I wouldn't be averse to seeing. It was clearly the, you know, the best fight of last year without any doubt whatsoever. Um, Regis Progray and Josh Taylor was also, you know, a great fight, but Donair and, uh, you know, it was, that was next level. And uh, it, it shows, you know, you know, for, to fight for, nine rounds with broken broken bones the nose and the eye socket and almost stop 
a very heavy-handed fighter, a much, much bigger fighter. Um, that shows the level of fighter he is to fight under, not under extreme pain, but to be have those disabilities in the ring. You know, having he, he said on Japanese TV that he, that he was literally seeing three donors <laughs> for the majority of the fight, and if anybody's had a broken eye socket, yeah, you know, you can sympathize with, you know, the predicament he had in the fight. So a good fight as well. Packed out card, uh, a great weekend for, for fans to savor with fights happening all over the place. It's nice when the fights get split between the UK um, and the US, especially for us in Europe. <laughs> Yeah. Um, simultaneous cards are never, never the best. Having to, you know, play a little bit of opportunity cost, but um, um, it's clearly going to be the UK Chisora music card um, that'll get the ball rolling, and the Inouye fights. Um, Tank Davis. Uh, Santa Cruz. Uh, uh, I look forward to watching that the week after on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but I'm not sure if there's any other cards, but I think that'll probably wraps up the, the previews for next week official. Uh, yeah, I think so. I would just add that. Uh... Is it the next week that Pro Gray is also on the undercard? But I'm not sure if it's uh, in a week, the next week, or in two weeks. But I know that he's uh, he's fighting someone on the undercard of of some fight. Well, probably, yeah, it's it's uh, the famous pay per view between Davis and uh, Leo Santa Cruz. I'm pretty sure I saw it the last night. Um, yeah, but. You know what? We have uh, a new viewer, uh, a guy in the chat room called Peligroso. He's he's a new new to this show, at least uh, first time I've seen him in the chat room. He had a question, so we can maybe try to answer his question quickly. Can Loma regain the confidence of the sports writers with a win over Shakur Stevenson at 1:30? How would that fight play out? If you don't mind uh, giving a quick talk. At 130 pounds. If, if Loma is indicated that he's willing to go back down to 130 pounds, um, are we assuming, hypothetically, if that fight was made immediately? Um, yeah, I, I think a, a victory for, for, for Loma would would elevate his position. Um, Shakur Stevenson is clearly seen, perceived at the moment as the future of boxing, um, certainly for those sort of weight categories and the future of American boxing as well, uh, having medaled in the Olympics, uh, having been gifted the world title, fighting against his, you know, his girlfriend's brother, um, um, and then we, we saw him in the lockdown as well, having a, a very, very easy fight as well. So 
Shakur has not really been tested too much, and I think it's a, a very dangerous, very, very dangerous supposition to put him ring with Loma on the assumption that he was outboxed and beaten when clearly in this show we've exemplified and demonstrated and substantiated with all of the video evidence on our respective channels that uh, it is a fool's errand to assume that Loma is now vulnerable and uh, a young predatory lion in the first TFU and now a Shakur Stevenson uh, and Loma's there, you know, to pick the bones now. Um, yeah. Dangerous fight, but Shakur is very much a boxer, um, a back foot boxer, but he can fight. And we're seeing his improvements. He never really had um, much of a lead hand when he was fighting from sort of 17 onwards, very much a one-handed fighter. Uh, with the benefit of speed, uh, reflexes, countering ability. But he's developing, he's getting bigger, stronger. He's developed his lead hand. He's far more active with the lead hand. He is really starting to target to so the body. He's sitting down with punches to the body. But it's in isolation. He's, he's fighting up against, you know, lackluster, pretty mediocre opponents. So he's not really had the jump up and... If you put him in the ring now with Vasily going down to 130 pounds, I think Vasily pretty much beats him up and maybe even stops him. Um, Vasily is a beast, you know, he was whooping Tiafima's ass. And, and had there been an impartial referee, you know, he may have even. If he allowed, you know, the action to continue, Tiafimo Lopez would have been on the canvas or would have been stopped. You know, I think there's clearly no doubt in that the referee didn't want any of those fighters. At, and, and that's up against a fighter who is moving up to 140 pounds. So Vasily clearly has the power at lightweight. And uh, I think he'd have the power at, at, at super featherweight as well. So that's a dangerous fight for Shakur. Two lefties, but a Vasily could, could could switch head as well. Um, it's too much of so to answer the question, I think it's too much of a jump up for Shakur Stevenson at this stage. Um, he's not seasoned. He's not been. His chin has not really been tested, and it will be up against Vasily. So it's far too dangerous to put him up against. A Peruvian cerebral fighter, so a little bit too premature. But eventually, I think if Vasily stays at 130 pounds, you know Bob Ra Bob Aram, who's um, we've seen what he's done with Vasily in both the Orlando Salido fight, in which he wanted to make Vasily a, a power puncher. That's why they they fucked him over in that fight, you know, to try and get all of those amateur cobwebs out of his system so it was a very harsh lesson that they that Vasily had to learn first of all and he did so and you've got to give credit to him and uh, you know they felt that he his market value and his status as a commodity was it was in jeopardy so hence that's why they put Tiafimo over you know wouldn't surprise me if they tried to do the same with with, with a Shakur Stevenson but Vasily would definitely entertain that fight, no doubt about it. 
the question is whether Tiafima would step up. I mean, sorry, whether Shakur would step up. But I don't know. I don't know official, but for me, Vasily wins that fight. Um, whether his market value and his his appeal and the way he gravitates to all of the you know the fight fans is that really gonna is that is that really gonna increase? I'm not sure. Um, people have got their pre misguided conceptions on Vasily. Is ever is either great to the hardcore boxing fans who appreciate his style or the others are just fixated in their opinions that he's a hype job. Um, you know, they're never really going to understand a Ukrainian fighter dominating professional boxing, thinking that he's a privileged fighter. So pe people are stuck in their opinions is what I'm kind of leaning to. You know, is Vasily going to win them over? You know what they're going to say? They're going to say, you know, Shakur wasn't ready. He's a little bit too premature. He's not seasoned. He's too green. Um, it'll be excuses. Right in center. So uh, it's not really going to be advantageous, I think, for both fighters to fight each other now. Uh, not in my opinion. Yeah, corruption. I, I do share your thoughts because... Look, I think that, first of all, uh, many boxing fans are getting uh, swayed away by by their uh, perception of what happened against Teofimo Lopez. So, uh, in my opinion, it would be too early for, for Stevenson at this point, at this moment. Now, okay, I said something similar to about... Uh, in fight, also Teofimo performed much better, but it's not uh, to me still. It's not um, Shakur for all, all his talent. He he doesn't represent the same problem for Lomachenko. Some of the problems that uh, Lopez was given him. So at this moment, I would still favor Loma. I mean, Shakur, in my opinion, is a very talented guy. Uh, I was. Uh, looking really closely at his skills, analyzing his skills. And I do think that he's a, he's a serious learner. He's willing to, to learn um, the, the skills, etc. But at this point, I would not expect that fight to happen, not yet at least. But on the other hand, Peligroso, what I would uh, tell you is that I'm fully expecting Bob to put Loma and um, Stevenson in the ring at some point, but I do think that they're going to wait for it. Uh, first of all, they could watch, the, they would observe the next Lomachenko's fight to see even if and when he moves down, if um, he took some really big punishment like people are claiming. So... And it's not all, all about the scoring punches, but uh, uh, he was definitely getting hurt, uh, you know, by by simply stepping in the ring with uh, with a much bigger guy. So we, we have to wait and see if uh, the in the aftermath of the Teofimo fight, um, 
it is going that fight is going to have some negative effect on him and uh, he he underwent uh, the surgery immediately after so we have to see if um, if Loma's body is uh, failing down it at an even higher rate than uh, was uh, the case up till now because he already had uh, some problems with the injuries but I would expect uh, Bob or perhaps uh, Todd LeBeuf and the other people at top rank to to put them together in the ring the moment they estimate that uh, Lomachenko's time is over. But I don't really expect it to happen yet. So I hope it answers your question. Yeah, I think if that fight happens immediately, it'll be a repeat of uh, Manny Pacquiao and Keith Furman. Yeah. Manny... You know, surprising most, you know, having maybe a significant year disadvantage. Everybody assuming that he's finished, but he turns back the clock and puts in the masterclass performance. Um, now, um, Vasily may not be improving, but he's he's not regressing, not from what I can see. Maybe the the dexterity that he had in his legs is. From an attack point of view, it's not as, but as I mentioned, that that may be due to weight. There's a lot of upper body weight he has as well, uh, so he's he's fighting clearly at a weight category that he doesn't have to cut weight. He actually has to put on a few pounds to, but depending on how long the training camp is, etc. For this fight, yeah, he he had to lose weight, but he. He lost it very easily in very slow increments the correct way so 130 pounds i think would would be perfect for him but it as you mentioned it it depends on the the, the quite concerning frequency of injuries that he's getting and repeat injuries to one particular either a, a show a muscular problem um, or if it's the rotator cuff, which is a concern, um, certainly from his lead hand, if he's had two rotator cuff, a tear off the actual rotator, then th- that's an injury to which is quite difficult to recover from. Um, so we'll have to wait and see in terms of Vasily's comeback, um, how active his lead hand is going to be, you know, hooking off it. It wasn't as much, but notice we never even mentioned Vasily's injury in this entire podcast because we don't look at excuses. We judge the fight on what we saw in the ring. We start bringing in shoulder injuries and, Vada not even allowing him any painkillers, then uh, no, we, we don't use that. We judge the fight on what we see, two fighters in the ring. If Vasily wasn't in the position to fight, then he wouldn't have fought. So uh, no excuses. But a good question. A lot of, a lot of variables that we don't know about. Um, but if it's the same Vasily we saw, that goes back down to 
130 pounds to fight Shakur and uh, I see Vasily winning that fight. But eventually top rank are synonymous with this changing of the guard, you know, changing the baton fight. They've been desperate for that with, you know, Manny and, and Terence Crawford. For Crawford to try and absorb his fans because, let's face it, Terence Crawford, he, he has the charm, the personality and the charisma of an unvarnished doorknob. <laughs> so, a great fighter, but an introvert. Um, you know, Vasily does have a great personality, but he's he's Russian, Russian speaking. So, and the US at the moment, are you seeing what's going on? They're trying to stop this Nord Stream 2 pipeline between Russia and that goes from Russia, Ukraine to Germany. Uh, so sanctions are being opposed by America. So there's a, a tremendous amount of anti-Russian sentiment going on at the moment. So you really think they want a Russian-speaking fighter or is the face of US boxing? Not at all. Um, it's pretty crazy. And I mean, it's a simple unilateral agreement between Russia and Germany. Russia have the gas and the oil, and Germany, the biggest European economy, clearly want to buy it, but the Americans are seeing that as somehow illegal. Um, so the politics, the geopolitics, it happens out there. It also happens in sports in exactly the same way. They use economic sanctions, and in boxing, they use robberies. The... Um, the evolutionary ethnic discrimination that we that we once saw of not only black but you know the Italians as well. You know when when the Italians first set sail to to America, the Irish had seized the economic had seized political power even before economic power. They were probably the only one of the first uh, racial classes to have done that. Uh, so the Italians would set foot on long voyages, finally arrive in America, and they would be subjected to IQ tests of, you know, three months voyages. And, uh, you know, they couldn't speak English. They were starving, exhausted, disease-ridden. But the Irish would impose, uh, you know, IQ tests upon them. Clearly, they weren't going to pass those tests. So the Italians, you know, were in no position to pass them, they would failed. The Irish would just say, look, <laughs> you got to go straight back to Italy. <laughs> so we're seeing, uh, you know, these Eastern European fighters, these Central Asian fighters, you know, suffering, you know, this evolutionary ethnic and sort of racial discrimination that even, you know, the black fighters had from during segregated America before 1964 when the civil rights and the following year when the voters' rights became implemented. So, um, yeah, the, the, these guys are getting fucked over in exactly, well, using a bit of stealth and opaque tactics, you know, that you can't really do it outright because of the court's system, you know, appeal system. Uh, but you know, they're getting fucked over, so yeah. Um, official, I think 
that's pretty much from that's pretty much my geopolitical lesson on that one <laughs> good one good one in fact yeah because look uh, recently in these last couple of years uh, americans went uh, in in a search for uh, for good exciting fighters that uh, they would not have to to pay pay too much that that's how triple g saga happened etc so but yeah i'm i'm still expecting to to see um, many more robberies to come but it is what it is uh, Unboxing is is a very corrupt sport, and it often, I mean, not even often, it mirrors uh, what's happening in the world, in the politics, uh, in the economy. So it's it's just a mirror of what's happening in the world. It's a microcosm of uh, what's happening, the the, the racial tensions, etc. But it is what it is. That's why many of us stop. Uh, even expecting a fair um, many of those fighters to, to get a fair shake so that's why many of us are not even recognizing um, yeah, the, they, the American they, boxing they yeah we, we are not recognizing many of those uh, uh, mainstream pound for pound uh, lists um, win uh, win or lose uh, records the official ones because we have uh, we have the eyes and um, the experience to, to recognize uh, the real fighters and uh, to, to support them but yeah it, it definitely sucks that uh, when a fighter no matter his uh, racial background is not able to to, to enjoy the, the official decision that, that he deserves, but once more, it is what it is. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I think that'll pretty much um, conclude events for the um, seventh transmission of the coup d'etat of boxing. Uh, covered a great deal. The aftermath closing statements of the Tiafima Lopez, Vasily Lomachenko, um, Highly, highly sort of controversial, and uh, just uh, anyway, um, we've got a tremendous amount of boxing uh, next week, so a lot to cover in the uh, following week. We've got a lot of reviews, a lot of previews to do, so it should be yet another captivating and fooling episode. So, on that note, I'd like to thank everybody who took time out of their Sunday to join us. I know there's a lot of podcast going on simultaneously so we appreciate the hardcore foot soldiers that have showed faith in clearly what is the superior podcast in the coup d'etat of boxing um so i want to thank um all of our esteemed colleagues who joined us we have we had the white devil we had box big shout out to you vince um, we had old dog briefly we had the Shepherd of Sons, we had Intangible, Timmy Nealon, B Space, Bonjour. <laughs> we had Justin, big shout out to you as well for joining us. 
Triple JJJ, my brethren. Hope you're well. Um, if I've missed anybody, apologize. Um, I cannot remember all the names that were in the chat room. Yeah. And, uh, Peligros. Uh, but all of the usual suspects, yeah, and all of the all of the others who normally join us. But big shout out to everybody. You guys know who you are. So official. Another great episode, and um, sayonara to everybody. We'll see you 9 p.m. Central European time next Sunday. Thank you, and. Uh, Adiós.